Welcome to Season 4 of the Talking Lad AK Court. Proudly presented by Citri Hall. Charles, I don't think we've met yet, but uh, fan of your products, uh, so stoked to be getting to know you tonight. Yeah, man, appreciate it. Yeah, that's a that's been a big, big dude. Every time anyone finds out that I work for CMC or or whatever, everyone always asks me like, what, "What's your take on the binary triggers?" And you know, us personally, we'll we'll never make one. Um, uh, for us, it's just you know the way that we look at it, it's a it's a big liability. Uh, situation um but at the exact same time you know it's a if once you actually learn how to run our stuff you can pretty much like what you just said you can shoot it faster than most binary triggers anyways you know we we deal with competition guys all the time that run our stuff and they run our product almost almost at a full auto capacity it's just it's it's insane when some of these guys really get used to them yeah Hello, Mr. Hall. There he is. Hey, I bet I know what y'all were talking about. <laughs> Got your monster drink. Oh, that's it. Get your drinks ready, too. If you don't have your drinks, get your drinks ready. This is going to be a good one. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, guys. Lots and lots. All right. Everybody ready? Anybody got any questions on anything? Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I show you this rash and tell me if you think I need to go to a doctor? <laughs> you just put a little cream on there. You'll be fine. Salve it up. <laughs> All right. Just, you know, amongst friends. I, figured I mean, you got my email. Okay, uh, AK. Marty, let's let's uh, give away three uh, Occam Vortex flash hiders okay. for the show for two, the end there. Two for the listeners and one for me? Okay, perfect. Yeah, sounds good. No, I, I, I'm happy to kick one over to you. No. Oh, by the way, you did win um, something from last episode, so you might want to listen. Oh, I will. To the last episode. And, oh, good deal. Thanks and for email me up. your contact info. and. I know if I don't do it, you're going to fucking cock block me, too. You know, so, you know like, I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You unfortunately, unfortunately for you, it was a League of Pirates sticker pack. So. Oh, no shit. That's actually something I want. All right, AK heads. We are back with another episode of your favorite, the Talking Lead AK Corner, presented by Century Arms. And we don't have anybody from Century Arms on today. Andrew was going to join us, um, but everybody found out last episode. He got engaged, so the... Uh, the ball and chain is taking him out to do like wedding stuff tonight. So he couldn't join us unfortunately. to a woman that is way, way too good out of his league, him. way yeah, out of his like, league, like, like way up out of his league. Yeah. But, you know, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with her, but, uh, everybody's <laughs> well, got their preferences, him. right? You can't use what's wrong with her, but <laughs> there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> so, uh, to make up for it, I brought in, all the other cool guys. And joining us this episode, who missed last episode, is my co-host, Brian Keeney, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome Stoked in, Brian. to be back in the, in the co-captain's chair with you here. 
Well, you were sorely missed, and I'm glad you're back. And uh, we've all been thinking about you, so sounds like things are going better. And yeah, we're gonna yeah. I'll Mrs. Ockham uh, sends her thanks for all the well wishes and uh, prayers and and all that. So thank you. Very good, very good. And uh, for those who listen to our regular program, uh, Brian was a winner in the last episode, our last regular episodes. And that was not staged either. So since he doesn't co host anything. Since you yeah. didn't co host that show, you were eligible to win. So you participated, you won. I uh, can't wait to listen to the episode. I just saw it pop here. So it, it was with the author John Gilstrap. And uh, it was a really good interview with John. He is a he's one of us kind of guy. Uh, even though he's in that world with uh, you know the the Hollywood and the you know all that stuff, he uh, he's down to earth, good America two A loving dude. So he's a good show, and he's he's into explosives. Ooh, so, yeah. Nice. There any uh, tips and recipes in his books? Uh, well, he might you know talk talk a little bit about them because I think one of his characters, one of his main characters, is you know he likes to blow stuff up. So. I have been enjoying all of the helpful helpful infographics from Ukraine on how to make uh, how to make Molotov, <laughs> Molotov cocktails. cocktails. The world is there are some upsides to the current state of the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, watching babushkas. Have you guys been seeing the babushkas grating uh, styrofoam into buckets? Yeah, yeah. getting it yeah. going. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to like an ingredient. Well, we're going to Which talk about that, too. Let me go around the table here. So, Brian, welcome yep. in. Uh, and as you said, you know, the state of affairs in Ukraine and Russia and all that, we brought in a, an expert to get us some updates on uh, really what's happening over there. We brought in Jay with the League of Pirates. Jay, welcome back, buddy. Oh, well, thank you for having me back. Appreciate it. Oh, Always a pleasure, especially to, with such a great crowd tonight. Yeah, we, we're glad you came out of hiding. So, thanks. I'm not in the hiding. I mean, like I'm distinctly shadow banned, and on the and on the. That means you're doing good if you get shadow banned. Isn't that right? That's right. Losing all my. And then that voice you heard, John Holton with M13 Industries. We're going to be talking about muzzle brakes, stocks, triggers today, and who better to talk about that than our good buddy from Las Vegas, John Holton. Howdy, howdy. His video isn't working either, so we're not going to have the graces of his his beautiful chops. Sorry. <laughs> More so, I was hoping that you would have gun porn for us. You know, you'd have some things to hold up and show us. But well, I got gun porn. I'm going to try to get the camera to work, but it's not working right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Uh, and then back for a second dose of the talking lead AK corner up up in New Hampshire is none other than Ken Allen. Ken, welcome in. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to see y'all. Well, we're glad to have you back, and uh, I know you're going to have a lot to contribute to the the topic today, and, uh, and especially the Ukraine stuff too. I think you probably got a good thumb on the uh, the pulse of that too. And it's been a while since we've had this guest on, but he's a frequent to the show, been on many times, and uh, we were going to have. Uh, his whole gang on, but as a lot of you lead heads know, I made a post, and you've seen their post as well. Our good friend Charles Watson passed away recently, 
Um, but we are glad that Zach was able to make it on and and uh, be a part of this show. We are actually dedicating this show to the memory of Charles Watson. Uh, we were really looking forward to having him on and uh, him sharing his wisdom. Always a an asset to the show and funny guy too. I just I loved Charles. He was he was awesome, man. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's already been deeply missed at the shop. Zach Hall joining us and. I did a because I I didn't know exactly how many shows it, that he had been on, but I went back and was going through old episodes, and you know he was on at least a half a dozen shows throughout the years, and probably some that yeah. I that I didn't actually mark him in. Um, but yeah, always a big part, especially when we would attend events. You guys would come in and make a big presence, and we greatly appreciate it. one of the the first companies that we actually interviewed when we started talking lead ten years ago was you were a different company then but Atlas Defense uh, <laughs> yeah uh, and we were so humbled that you know big TV stars like yourselves would have anything to do with us you've always been uh always been personal friends of mine and then um I mean y'all just cool so well that's what it is you know everybody's cool and and you guys have always been cool and you know the 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 nickname left hand you know, for, for years, people were at, how did you get the name Left Hand? How did you get the name Left Hand? And I would have a different story every time somebody would ask me. And so this one time I ran a, a contest. I said, whoever could come up with the best background for how I came up with Left Hand wins, you know, whatever I was giving away. And uh, you guys happened to be on that episode. And uh, Charles came up with this, um, the greatest story I'd ever heard, but it had to do with Spaghetti Westerns. There was this old spaghetti western uh, that had oh, what was his name Terrence Hill and that Bud guy. They, they were always duos in movies, and one was right hand of the devil, and the other one was left hand of the devil. And he went in through that whole story of how <laughs> how that thing played out, and he goes, "That's how you came up with your name." I was like, "Winner, <laughs> you win. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> you win." He was the master of obscure knowledge. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and. I have been binging spaghetti westerns uh, for the last couple of weeks. So. Good, There's some doubled up uh, nerd humor there with the left hand. In Latin, uh, the right hand is called dexter, like dexter. Dexterity. And yeah, there you go. And the left hand or the left left is sinister or Ooh. sinister. And this <laughs> this idea of it, of sibilant snake sounds. And the devil and all that. Yeah, lefty. Yeah. A little strange. Yeah, you got it. Getting a little strange there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think I've got everybody except our new guy. Did I did I miss anybody? So our new guy joining us, we've got Mr. Charles West. And Charles is with CMC Triggers. And Charles and I met uh, this summer. Was it this summer? I guess it was this summer. At the Big Daddy Unlimited epic shoot. You guys were there, and I just happened to come by your booth, and I saw you had some AKs down there. I was like, huh? And you guys have an awesome AK trigger that we're going to talk about today. So, Charles, welcome in. Hey, appreciate appreciate you uh, having me. Absolutely. And we've got representation all over the United States, so... We've got Texas represented, we've got New Hampshire, we've got Tennessee, we've got Louisiana, 
slash Tennessee, because Zach is originally from Tennessee. Uh, we've got Moscow, Idaho, and then we've got where Jay is from, and I'm not going to say. <laughs> so. We literally have all the states that don't suck. It's and, great. And <laughs> Las Vegas. I'm sorry, John. John, I forget you're there because I don't have your video up, brother. Sorry. <laughs> from Las Vegas, the great state of Vegas. Yeah. Or Nevada. Love those white plates coming in this state, unfortunately. Vegas should be its own state. Yeah, well, we need to get all those white plates out of here first. <laughs> all those white plates? <laughs> yeah, that's what our, our, our politically correct way of calling Californians. Ah, I got you. Unfortunately, they are they're inundating everywhere. Yeah. I just I just had some neighbors move in. I think that are from California. I, Busy I, bodies. I just got some California neighbors too. You just shot some? Is that what we said? No, oh, no, man. <laughs> I just I just got some. Oh, I got you. I got you. Well, you Same can have thing. mine too. Uh, I was actually born in New Hampshire, so I'm covering all kinds of stuff on this. Oh, one. look at you! You're like we're a, about back. We're about Littleton. Oh, no joke. Way up north. Nice. Yeah, way up there. Yep. We're gonna get some snow here tonight uh, in Tennessee, the Nashville area. They're calling for like three or four inches. It's been like 75 the last two days. Just perfect, balmy weather. The grass is growing and things are in bloom. And it's supposed to get like down to zero. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's freaking ridiculous. I think you were telling me the same thing there in uh, in your area, right, Charles? In Texas. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be 28 tonight, and then in two days it's going to be over 80. So... Texas is extremely bipolar when it comes to weather. Hey, it's that global warming, you know. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk muzzle devices, triggers, stocks, whatever else comes up. Uh, we've got a shift ton of questions from listeners on Instagram and Facebook, and I know you guys had done some repost, so you may have some questions on um, your sites as well, and we're going to field those, but... We'll probably answer most of the questions uh, during the segment, but then we'll we'll go uh, field some of those questions. And then we've got some awesome giveaways today. We're going to be giving away Century Arms, our presenting sponsors, going to be giving away a 10-pack uh, of their AK mags. Or it's actually U.S. Palm, but you know everybody knows Century is, uh, owns them. We're going to give away a Mission First Tactical dump tray with the Talking Lead logo on there. Armorer's tray, gunsmith tray, wherever you want to use it. You could even eat your TV dinner off these things, you know. Sit there by the TV. Uh, we're going to give away an awesome Seal One uh, complete gun care kit right here. So one lucky winner will win one of these. And Brian made the announcement earlier that they're going to be giving away three Occam Defense muzzle devices. How awesome yeah, and these will technically be suppressor. Yeah, what Hold Ken's holding up. up for those on video. Thank you, Ken. Put that closer. Um, yeah, it's a uh, licensed dead air key mount uh, system in the back. You can use the uh, dead Is air pyros one? to put on. Is this yep. different? Yep, that's a dead air, and that's the key mount. So you so see the stuff in the back is the same. Yeah. 
and they make a cool adapter. So even if you got a silencer co can or an Atlas can, um, I just got a Sabre 360 from them. That's going to get a pyro, not pyro, a chemo adapter on the back. Hells yeah. Atlas can. Um, very, very cool can. And, uh, so key mount in the back and then a vortex style four prong flash hider up front. Very cool. And then Charles, the new guy, did not come empty-handed. Charles, tell them what uh, CMC Triggers is going to do for our listeners. Uh, we're going to give away one of uh, one of our three three one of our three different trigger bows for the AK trigger. Very nice. And it may be a minute. Uh, just a little disclaimer. So whoever wins that, it may take a few weeks to get those in because they're like in turn right now and getting supplies and stuff in. Look like everybody is so. That is correct. Uh, but you will get it. Absolutely. One lucky winner. Uh, is Did I give, is that everything? I think that's all the stuff we're giving away. So who knows? There might be other stuff pop up by the end of the uh, the show. So where are you, where are you guys going to start? You'll start the front you'll start the back? Front. We'll start with the devices, the muzzle devices. All right. So the AK-47, AKM, uh, AK-74, uh, the original slant brake, I've got one right here that came on. Who wants to field that and talk about the functionality of that slant brake? Get out of the way here. My camera's like doing stuff backwards tonight. It's going the opposite of what I normally do. You're in temporal flux, man. I'd ride it. So, Jay, tell, tell <laughs> us about the slant brake that the Russians, uh, their original design. Okay, so the slant brake, right? Everybody who, uh, you know, at some point winds up clicking through a bunch of pictures on the wiki or, um, you know, checking out some of those, like, super sweet modis and whatnot from everybody's favorite, like, most awesome Republic movie, Red Dawn, will be pretty familiar with what looks like a um, uh, a barrel device that just looks like it has like a little uh, 45 degree cut on it and basically the entire purpose of that is that it's neither flash reducing um, in any capacity really um, or um, does anything other than direct gas uh, for right hand shooters so that when it goes to full eat they can Remotely uh, keep. We're losing you, Jay. Remotely keep. Did you guys lose Jay too? Yeah. How about now? How about now? Now, now you're back. Oh, really? Okay, so I have to stay within router range. All right, whatever. The um, must be that Apple phone. I don't know, you, Apple phone, my ass. I'm not a fucking communist. Atta boy, my my man. <laughs> what the hill apple, dude. I'm talking to you on like one of like 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 it's Friday night. This is a burner front. So <laughs> got that at Walgreens. Walgreens. I uh, hear. Side note on that. Yeah. Add you can add this to the show. Okay. Right? Anybody who did not take advantage of wearing a mask and paying cash burner phones when it was totally cool to walk into walmart wearing sunglasses a baseball cap and a face mask 
and didn't buy a bunch of nefarious shit <laughs> missed an opportunity. <laughs> That's their loss, right? That's their loss. That's their loss. So, like, share, and subscribe. That's your legal pirates moment. There we go. But, I like it. So, um, slant breaks. Um, I don't know. Just edit it in wherever it starts making sense if I ever come to that. Oh, this is great. This is gold. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So, slant breaks basically have a 45 degree cut on the end um, mm -hmm. ish, kind of. And it's exclusively to push gas for right-hand shooters to the left. And that's it. That's the whole Doesn't, purpose. That's it. Like, it's, it's a simple device for a simple tool for a peasant. That's it. And then throughout the years, they have developed. And now we've got just the sky's the limit on muzzle devices. Um... Brian. Yes, sir. Since you are in the process currently uh, in the market, and, and John may be too. John, are you making muzzle devices? No, I don't. Okay. <clears throat> I just I sell the ones for uh, JMAC, but yeah. that's, that's all what I do. <clears throat> so talk about the intricacies of the AK uh, and a good designed muzzle device, whether it's a brake or a flash suppressor hey, that's a great conversation is zach actually knows a lot about this and i'm sure yeah. john does it well anybody that knows stuff <clears throat> chime in but having failed at a few muzzle device designs and then figured out my ass from a hole in the ground eventually <laughs> um i i do have some insight on it now and the the most important thing to understand is that brakes Fundamentally, brakes and flash hiders are enemies. And there are wizards who manage to combine both to a certain degree. But you'll, I don't think, I think an effective muzzle brake that is also a really good flash hider is called a suppressor. Um, and uh, so what's going on is um, imagine a trumpet and um, that you're, blowing gas out of that thing and uh what's happening is as the bell of the trumpet opens um the pressure is going to drop in that air it's going to be high pressure as it's in the tube and as it comes out the front end because you have the same air moving out of the down that tube that's now incorporate that's now being that's now in a bigger space by definition the pressure is going to be lower um, what flash hiders do is they do that in as many ways as possible, um, in every angle on every face of the flash hider, it's trying to act like a trumpet. And what that does is it lowers the pressure, which also lowers the temperature of the exhaust gases. And if it's a good one, brings them down below the temperature at which those gases can ignite. So it's like dirty gas out of a wood stove. Um, if you're burning really hot and clean in a wood stove, you won't get any smoke at all because um, it's being combusted and is on fire in the chimney or in the stove. And um, that's what you're trying to do is to get those gases cool really quick so that they don't actually flash. And there's a lot of devils and a lot of details after you get there because sometimes 
all the the different little trumpets, the different faces that are angling outwards, you'll get kind of like an interference pattern where six feet out the front of the gun, those different gases will collide again in a vortex, boost that pressure again. It's like turbulence in an airplane. Mm -hmm. Turbulence is your enemy. When the, that's why you'll see that fireball like six feet out starting from the front of the gun is those different gases are colliding. Yeah. Um, so that's, and a, there are some that's what a, muzzle devices that play on that and enhance it. Absolutely. Because so, it, because so it doesn't love a fireball, breaks. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you want to really be an asshole with a muzzle <laughs> break, you can get a pyro or something. There's a bunch, there's the laugh, there's a bunch. Um, but a muzzle brake does exactly the opposite thing. And I normally talk about that first. So hopefully if you're confused, um, then maybe Chime listen in, to the Zach. second part, back it up to two minutes and, and you'll be in better shape. Fundamentally with the muzzle brake, what you're doing is you're using those exhaust gases coming out of the front end of the gun and you're redirecting them. And in the case of the slant brake, which is, as Jay described, just a 45 or I don't know the angle, but it, it looks a bit like a grain scoop or a spoon. It's a little more all than that's a going, yeah. All that's going on there is the gases are being allowed to vent in every direction except where the little duckbill or spoon is. And so you are going to get some um, flash increase from that, but not a lot. A better example of, of um, where you start to get pretty... Um, pretty concussive and redirecting the gases a lot as JMAC makes a very fine tank break. You know, they took the, the physics of the classic big ass tank breaks that you see on modern tanks. And, um, they did that for the AK. Zach, were we going to have him on tonight? Uh, no, he said he was busy. He couldn't make it, but oh, he okay. would have been a perfect guest for this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that break is outstanding at keeping the muzzle down, which is and and lowering recoil, which are are typically the two things you're trying to achieve. And um, if you you can actually go even beyond where the JMAC is and angle those fins backwards towards the shooter, and what that does, like on a, I think a Barrett ha might have a minor degree of backwards cant to it. And what that actually does is pull the gun forward away from your shoulder. And so that's how you get these really low recoil, enormous calibers that aren't that big a deal. The problem is that, um, or the downside, I said there's a flash hiders and brakes are essentially enemies. There's two problems that crop up. Um, and I should say that a flash hider, if it's perfect, does absolutely nothing for muzzle rise or um, recoil reduction. You know, the best flash hiding will be the worst at what a brake does. And the best brakes in general will be the worst at flash hiding. And then you can start trading off between those two things. There's two downsides to a brake. The first one is that when the, when the gases hit those baffles, um, the pressure it's, it's like a fire hose hitting a brick wall, like that gas has a lot of momentum to it. And when it piles into that wall, it's going to boost the pressure dramatically and actually increase ignition temp or, you know, increase ignition. And that's why you see a much bigger uh, fireball in general coming out of brakes. And uh, there's a second downside that is the one and the same, actually, that boosted pressure manifests as concussion. 
and um, for me, I actually can't shoot brakes anymore. I shot so many of them on our production guns that I've become sensitive to it, and I kind of get my bell rung. And uh, the military and combat veterans out there, can you have my full permission to be laughing right now because I know what it's, I've endured isn't a pimple on the ass. It's of a artillery real thing, man. That can cause TBI. Yeah. So anyway, I am really, I don't shoot brakes anymore that I can't stick a blast can on. And that is one way to moderate how a brake works. Like if you're in California, the reason we make Zach's a muzzle one up now. Yeah. The reason that we sell a suppressor mount on our California um, brakes is so you can defeat it and get around the law. Now ours and some, there's another way to defeat the concussion, but still lower your muzzle rise um, and get a lot of the benefits of a brake without getting your bell rung. And that's actually our brake, which we don't sell in any other form, but on our guns, those baffles are actually angled forward. And what that does is it, it angles the blast wave forward away from the firing line. And so if you're in a class around other people, or you're sensitive to, to concussion, that's a really good way to get around that problem. So, um, Great. All of this stuff is is simple and also super, super, super complicated. And hopefully the explanation I've provided there gives people simple some sort of... Simple if you're of, a physicist like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say to get complicated is it's very... It gets deep end of the pool really, really quick to design breaks that are phenomenal. Yeah. We ended up coming up with one that it's not great on performance. Like if you want the flattest shooting break out there... You know, there's a bunch of people that do that well. That's not what we do on ours. We optimize for shooter comfort and defeating, you know, awful gun laws. Um, so that's the uh, the sort of thirty thousand foot view. And then there's there's other there's a few weird animals like um, I've heard that the Nevesky flaming pig is pretty interesting. It's mono, It's and we'll get into the the blast cans and the compressed uh, booster cans like on the crank in a little bit. But there are some some weird little animals that don't fit cleanly into what I've just described and compensators and all the rest. There's these there's things, but they're all with the exception of, of boosters. They're all kind of a mix of the two things that I was talking about between um, the flash hider and the brake. Yeah. Um, Zach, you got anything then, to add to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, He's chomping over there. I see him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing on the. Um, a company called DeGroat, which was uh, James DeGroat. He's more in the minigun industry, but does a lot of other stuff. He actually made a flash enhancer, and it worked. And there, there was a lot of science behind it because as easy as it is to make a brake that works and make a flash hider that pretty well works, actually increasing the muzzle flash is just as difficult. And um, it was it was something to see. I don't think he still makes those anymore. How do you That's spell been, his last name while you're talking about it? I'll try to pull it up. D-E-G-R-O-A-T, as far as I know of. It's DeGroat Industries or DeGroat Tactical. Um, okay. the uh, Like Brian says, one of the things I do when I design muzzle brakes is I try and keep the shooter in mind and the... Uh, uh, somewhat the other people on the line around them, but there's only so much you can do with that. So on our 30 caliber muzzle brakes, 
our um our new 338 muzzle braking stuff the the actual walls that the the high pressure gas hits are angled forward that it reduces Good the effectiveness of the brake a little bit but it massively increases the comfort of the shooter and granted most everything is designed to go inside a silencer but still you don't shoot suppressed all the time well and and, and would you mind going into very briefly zach the role that a that a brake plays in extending suppressor life while <sighs> while we're right in here i wish i had the parts with me i did a a a series of tests years ago to uh, more for materials testing. And I did um, a flash hider and then a handful of different muzzle brakes and then a bunch of different materials on a seven inch M16 doing mag dumps into what was basically just the blast chamber on a silencer with interchangeable blast baffles. And we would do, we would heat it up to about, six seven hundred degrees and then do a full mag dump of 40 rounds out of a p mag into it and see what kind of wear we got on the various materials wow did you um, do a video of that there are some videos floating around on uh youtube and stuff mm -hmm. the fireball is absolutely impressive because it's just a enclosed little it's it's about the size of our flash can yeah but capped off so there's no, it's just the blast chamber and nothing actually stopping any of the flame front. Wow. It was, it was a fire breathing beast and a lot of fun. <laughs> well, One like of the said, things we found flames out, is fun. Yeah. Yeah. But not to the guy next to you. <laughs> yeah. One of the, uh, one of the things we found out was, um, putting one of our shorty, our simple little, let me see if I can get, there we go. Yeah. Uh, it's got a series of holes, and they're all timed out very specifically. There's a large segment that doesn't have holes. Um, if you look inside, it's kind of hard to see, probably. Yeah, your but camera sucks. Oh, see yeah. if I can get mine. Yours sucks worse than mine does. My camera? Mine's coming in <laughs> yeah. great on my end. <laughs> it's coming in great yeah, on mine. Yeah, you're coming in good. Yeah, there's a, a nice meat harvester on the front end of yeah. that thing. So... What we found out was the 16-inch barrel with the flash hider was putting the same kind of wear as the 7-inch barrel with the muzzle brake on it on the, uh, on the surface. So what the flash hider did was keep all that hot, hard particulate, unburnt powder and everything else from impacting the um, blast baffle, the initial surface which wasn't really good for our testing, but it did show, because I've heard it for years, brakes help, but to what extent they help was really not understood. There was almost no wear in any of the testing when we used the brakes. The flash hider actually increased wear on the blast baffle, even more so than the um, bare muzzle did. Wow. So, yeah, it just funnels all of that hot gas right into the blast baffle yep yep that's what i hear from other manufacturers as well that is that and, and especially for like oss yeah they require um, it to be shooting into those the vortices or the it's not a vortice the helices on the outside of that can 
But that is what I hear is that a little bit of break can go a long way. It goes in, a in... way long way. Mm-hmm. The um, One of the things I'll do when I design a new muzzle brake is I'll make it out of really cheap A36 or uh, 1018 steel. Don't nitrite it. Put it on some really short barreled machine gun and just beat on it. So it doesn't have any good wear resistance. It's not hardened. It shows the effect. And I can save on ammo costs of what the brake will look like mm. in extended use and see how it wears. Um, just accelerate just the process. To... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's smart. John, what about you, buddy? You got, uh, got anything to add to these, this discussion on the muzzles? No, that's, that's pretty much what I've always seen and stuff like that. You know, there's, I've actually seen, we have a muzzle brake. We call the, uh, no make a no make a gun run break that uh we're not sure who it belongs to but it will actually make a gun start malfunctioning because it, it best we could tell it's back it's bringing the pressure back. out of the gun too fast because <clears throat> it you put it on almost any gun that is you know tuned pretty good not a huge gas board and the gun will actually start having you know feeding issues because it can't cycle itself back enough <laughs> So that's one you don't want to use. <laughs> yeah. And then we also have the one that we had one sent to us to uh, demo and try out on some of our guns. And we call it the V8. So if you imagine a V8 engine, it looks just like that, except for it just has two ports. It'd be like a V4, like the SCAT V4 motors. Uh-huh. So it has two ports, just like that would be the v- the cylinders. And it has a row on top of them of uh, ports as well. And that one... Uh, if you if we hate somebody, we'll put that on your gun because it <laughs> kicks the buttstock into your face. Oh shit! Because it shoves the nose down so hard that the stock comes up and actually cracks you in the cheek. So we should be manufacturing these and sending them to our enemies. Yeah, if you if you really want to hurt somebody, you give them that thing because they're going to shoot about ten shots and then ask you what's wrong with the gun. <laughs> that must be what the Russians are using right now. Now, yeah, they got the they have the ear pounder ones on theirs. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ken? You got anything to add to this? Yeah, I got a lot to add to this one. All right, uh, this is kind of in my realm, but from a different direction. I'm not the the mad scientist that Brian is, nor the you know builder that John is, obviously. But from a user standpoint, and looking at it from you know several different marketplaces, you know, if we take this right back to the beginning, you know, a muzzle device is really intended to protect the, uh, you know, your your muzzle itself, making sure you don't ruin the crown. Um, whether you're shooting defensively or whether you're shooting uh, recreationally or if you're out there competing, the opportunity for the muzzle to get foreign matter is going to happen sooner or later. And being able to protect that crown and protect the barrel itself from overpressurization, touching off around and having that barrel obstructed is huge. So, you know, when we have, you know, the basic, you know, A2 type flash hider, it's on the Scalil here. Um, again, that gives us good flash suppression, just like, you know, Brian was talking about moving those gases away and, and changing the pattern of the gas so that we don't get as much flash. But mostly it's, it's protecting that muzzle and protecting the shooter in case there's an instant of, of obstruction. Um, you know, if we go the, the other direction and we talk about, you know, our different muzzle devices, such as these ported devices, like you guys said, these are, you know, essentially copied from from tanks and artillery. 
that's exactly what these things do, like was just alluded to, is they create a gigantic pressure wave. Um, unfortunately, that is extremely disruptive, not only to the shooter, but to anyone around them. Um, I'm sure most of you have probably heard the term BF or buddy fucker, because that's really <laughs> what it does. Um, if you don't want to be too popular and show up on a firing line, either recreationally or um, to a class specifically, um, unless you're back in you know, 1990s, early 2000s, when, you know, Surefire was first putting out the two and three port breaks with a tremendous amount of popularity and, and no suppressors to go with it. Um, you show up with one of these, you're not going to be very popular. Um, it just has a tremendous pressure wave. One thing that I highly suggest if you're going to be out there training with others and or shooting recreationally is to think about flash suppression. Um, you know, that's kind of the device you're looking for and or what Brian was alluding to where you could get one of the combination devices. Um, one of my favorites for that is actually this Surefire device here, the Warcomp. Um, comes in two styles. One is closed time, one is open. This is the open version. Um, it does a minor amount of uh, compensation, but mostly flash suppression. And that's really what I have it for. And I, I like it on uh, my AR series. I like it on the Scars. I like it on all the AK series, like on the Galils, um, it's it's a good hard worker and it transitions very well. And, and it'll also take suppressors and blast cans. Blast cans is a big one for this. So if you are running one of those devices that does throw off a lot of energy, blast can is your friend. Um, so a, a good little test that you can do for yourself is just set up a piece of cardboard. Uh, go ahead and take the muzzle of your rifle. Of course, downrange have it about three to six inches from that cardboard and fire around, see what happens to the cardboard. If you end up with deviation to the face of that cardboard, then you are too close, obviously, which means that you're too close to being to other shooters and or other pieces of material. What am I talking about? Um, any kind of piece of architecture, whether that be vehicular architecture or actually standard architecture. So think VTAC barriers, think uh, shooting barrels uh, that we use for competition and, and for training. Any and all that stuff. Yeah. I have seen many, many chunks of plywood of all different types um, being separated from itself from two and three port type breaks being fired within six inches of it. Um, I've seen some pretty nasty stuff happen to actual house architecture. Um, and I guess you could probably imagine what happens when you touch that off interior of a car. Um, it's it's a huge press. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, good little test. Do that before you get out and train. But, um, you know, I, I certainly suggest the, the flash suppression over compensation for training purposes. Very good. Anybody else have anything to add along those lines? Yeah, the only thing else that I would add about the um, about uh, utilization of brakes while you're actually pressing, uh, pressing triggers is uh, another good test that you can do is if uh, you can do a little rolled over prone and watch what happens um to the um to the soil sand rocks or snow yeah um uh, th th that's right around your barrel um you get a good idea of uh how much uh um how much shit that you're just gonna you know come flying out at you or across your teammates or people that you're uh guarding or protecting yeah gives you a uh, it'll you open them eyes yeah now and I think we're generally talking generalities here for the most part. We're not talking specifically AKs. I and mean, this applies basically to any any rifle um, that you're using. 
Um, let's talk. Let's let's talk specifics now with the AKs and muzzle brakes. The AK, AKMs, AK seventy fours, uh, kind of deal. Uh, the principles are still the same, but what kind of differences in the brakes or um, flash hires are we seeing in, in the seventy four versus a forty seven? Per se, is there really anything? Wouldn't think so, right? That no, well, I think that. One of the things I notice is more uh, exit muzzle pressure. So you have the the standard pressure cartridges, 308, 30-06, stuff in that range. Um, they tend to have more recoil, so a good muzzle brake can help tame those down. The more intermediate cartridges, 556, 300 blackout, 762, that kind of stuff. It's more directional five, four, control, five. if anything else. Yeah. Pardon? I said the five four five. Yeah, five four five. Uh, it's more directional control. There's not a lot of recoil there, but if you can keep the muzzle from really bouncing around, especially full auto or burst or something like that, you it's more handy. There again, like they were saying, um, muzzle brakes suck if you're really close to someone, but it, yeah <laughs> yeah we brian was touching on the dracos um a little bit earlier he was going to talk a little bit about that brian you want to jump into that oh yeah the i was at the uh crank but crink, same that's what it was, same yeah. same story um yeah people a lot of people run those four they're called a four-piece bulgarian um on the front end and they look mostly like what lefty's holding up um they look kind of like a Oh, gosh, it's a really funny. It almost looks like a big chess piece, um, something like that. Um, and a lot of people don't know what their actual function is. And if you look at a, a crank, the gas port is really close to the end of the barrel. And um, dwell time is an important concept that I think we may have covered before, but it's the time during which the bullet has passed the location the location in the barrel where the gas port is. And so that's the start of the time. And then the end of that time is um, when the bullet leaves the muzzle. And uh, obviously when the bullet is still in the barrel, but past the place where the gas port is drilled, you're going to be seeing very high pressures for very brief, like microsecond levels of time getting directed up at the piston or if it's a di gun back at the bolt and uh this the you know nanosecond that that bullet has left the chamber the exhaust gases are moving much much faster than the bullet and you'll actually see them in a a, a particular kind of video that you can find on uh smarter every day on youtube if you if you look up on youtube smarter every day and uh and suppressors. Um, there's a very particular type of, of graphing you can do to show the gases. And it's amazing how much faster they are than the bullet. Um, and uh, so what that blast can does on the front end is artificially extend the length of the barrel. But what it also does is give a volume for those gases to hang out in and kind of buffer the pressure that's going back up through the gas port hitting the piston. And uh, it's a big deal. And um, so 
that's that's why that thing's there. It, you might not need it at all in Las Vegas on a hot summer day, but uh, the Russians tend to spec their stuff to work down in the negative 40 range. And um, when when things are cold and Ken, I see Ken nodding his head, so I want him to talk a little bit, if that's okay, on, on yeah. uh, temperature and, and pressure and what that does to your ammo. Well, real quick, did you have anything to add to the uh, the crank, um, Zach? <laughs> yeah. He's holding so one this, up. This is my personal pap, and oddly enough, this one was undergassed. So most of the time, sorry, most of the time the um, uh, they're not undergassed at all. Usually they put the booster on there more to help during sustained full auto fire, that kind of stuff. Uh, me being myself, I needed to increase the dwell time with the gas system on this particular one. And then I also wanted, while I'm doing it, add some braking effect. So it's kind of hard to see on this one. This yeah. is a pre-production. Yeah. This is one of our production ones and it actually has ports in it. Oh, nice. Sick. So it has the look of the original, uh, Yugo booster, but a muzzle control, not necessarily recoil reduction, but it keeps the muzzle, pointed where you want it because these things are really yeah really jumpy um they're just they're cool but they're not a whole lot of fun to shoot mainly <laughs> because of how loud they are but they're also very very jumpy um you put this on there and it really balances the muzzle out and keeps it from bouncing around quite as much very cool i like that all right can talk about the the temperature yeah, so you know the guys that are doing precision scope rifle stuff. This is this is commonplace for them, um, but most of the rest of us that shoot recreationally or competitively or just do some training don't necessarily think about temperature control and what it does to expansion and contraction of indifferent types of materials, um, and particularly related to ammunition. Uh, we do simple tests. We we run carbine classes all year round, um, and some of our winter carbines are cold environment carbine courses, as we talk about, are some of our most popular. We're one of the only ones that are actually out there working in the in the zero degree temperatures or below or slightly above. Um, simple test, uh, go ahead and, and check with a, a uh, you know, IR thermometer and see what the bolt carriage is, is temperature at. Um, also check your ammunition temperature. We ask students to show up with ammo that's been uh, out in the cold uh, all night uh, we ask for them to also have a magazine that is actually on their kit, whether that be on a belt mount or on a plate carrier or on a chest rig, and then um, one that's actually in their pocket and kept warm. So it came from a warm vehicle, um, staying as warm as it can. And we will start cold bore, and we will shoot the uh, cold ammo cold bore and see where we end up. And going through those three stages of the ammo that is completely cold, to ammo that is mildly warm from being close to the body, but not close enough to absorb a tremendous amount of heat, um, to actually being close to the body and coming out of a warm environment. We see on a 5.56 uh, NATO anywhere, depending upon the length of the barrel. So if we're looking at a 10 inch to a 16 inch barrel, um, again, varies by ammunition types, but realistically we look at anywhere between an inch and three quarters of an inch of deviation over those three different types of ammunition, meaning by temperature. The odd part is when, you know, if we're talking about AKs specifically, 
Um, 7.62 by 39 on steel case ammo can vary as much as almost four inches. So that deviation wow. between warm temp and cold temp can be almost four inches. And I'll be doing That's a little huge. white paper on this just to you know be a demonstrator so folks can repeat the process. I've by no means done this scientifically. Um, this is just range testing, but we do it every year and, and get out there and, and show the folks that there is a difference. So you do have to understand that if you need to take a precision shot, it's not going to be possible unless you're actually zeroed for that temperature on your bolt, your ammunition, Everything. and cold. Yeah. Has anybody else done anything similar, any similar type testing? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a great time, I think, if you guys don't mind me hopping up on a soapbox for a little bit. Um, I Sorry, think I'll knock you down this time. What's that? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I think that anybody with a pulse can now see that the expert scientific and medical community has completely discredited itself and um, become corrupted and i saw this back the first time where i was like oh shit, houston we have a major problem here was when barack hussein obama said the debate is over climate change is real the minute that you say the debate is over, you have left science. Yeah. And a lot of people feel like they don't know enough to do science and that they need to study the scientific method and everything. And, uh, you know, I hear Ken being respectful and cautious and couching like, hey, this isn't definitive science, you know, like uh, official data or anything. But, um, you know, science, well, the the guy who came up with pretty much the 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 best part of electricity and magnetism or the, the biggest um, contribution was a janitor. And uh, he was completely self-taught. And I think we are re-entering an age where citizen science is just about I, I will look at, at citizen science probably less critically than officially, you know generated propaganda science at this point. And so if you guys can just at home here, you know, if you want to check this stuff out and I'm glad Ken's doing a paper cause he has a science back. He is, he does science professionally, um, as well as his, his fun job. And, um, if you just can think critically and use the tools of the enlightenment to logically think about the things that could affect what you're trying to measure, control everything you can and then not sweat it and see if you can figure some stuff out. And then if you can get your buddy to repeat that and get similar results, that's called peer review. And the official peer review journals are, it's crap at this point. It's totally, it's really co-opted. So, but you guys don't need permission from anybody to go out and do science. And so I, applaud what ken's doing and and would encourage people to replicate it and Absolutely. figure it out for themselves and i think this yeah. white paper is great and just talk stuff over with your buddies and think about stuff like temperature effects because they're a big deal and you might discover something new and educate us so now uh, that that's the rant i've kind of uh skipped over charles charles do you have anything to jump in anytime <laughs> don't wait for me to call yeah. This is definitely more their realm for sure. <laughs> okay. You're just waiting for the triggers, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about you, Jay? Are you still there? Is Jay still with us? 
Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm still there. Okay. You know, I'm gonna have to uh, backpedal a little bit to, okay. uh, to go back to something because there's sure. one thing that um, th- that we started to tickle the tip on, and then mm-hmm. didn't, and then didn't really, uh, you know, really get, you know, whatever. So are the four piece brakes, mm-hmm. right? Um, four piece brakes called four piece because they're made out of four pieces. You have a body, you have a cone. The, the cap and then the spring that retains it the i honestly don't even really know what those were intended to be used on i have one um on um on my m92 and w- one of the things that I, I i experimented with lots of different types of muzzle devices on on that thing and the and and finally settled onto the four-piece brake after a conversation with Jim. And lo and behold, this little short-barreled, angry 60 by 39 um, while shooting it at night and, you know, doing my version of science, um, the flash mitigation is spectacular. And the... Uh, the way that it's made, I theorize, is that it's also working in some capacity as a linear compensator. Now, that, that thing doesn't recoil very much. Uh, it, it's not select fire. It's it's just me and a trigger. Right. Um, but with that four-piece brake, it's fantastic. And it's called a brake, but it's a flash suppressor. And it's really confusing for i mean it was confusing for me and i'm a retard but there's got to be small there has to be smarter people that also because of the variance in the nomenclature it also has to be confusing also and that four-piece break we see those here and there um there was maybe still is a company in ukraine that was making super sweet ones um yeah but right um the name is escaping me at the moment. Um, but we. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to say them, that it is in the marketplace. It, it's totally not an NFA device. Like, like it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that that's it's legal. My, no, my it, thoughts it's legal. exactly, Zach. That's that's about <laughs> probably all we should say on that. Yes. Subject. Yeah. <laughs> So it's how legal. Do we get to NFA, how do how do we get to NFA device from this break thing? Yeah, that's well. What Zach is telling you is like, yeah, like you're right. There's some special shit there that we probably don't want to talk about too much. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep keeping it non NFA to keep it that way. Um, John, did you have anything to add to that? Are you familiar with that four piece? Yeah, actually, I. Uh, I also have one like Jay does on my M92, and that's my everyday, quote-unquote, everyday carry gun in a rifle form. Um, I, For the simple fact of it does very – for me, it's done just like what Jay says. It is a awesome flash hider. Um, it will – unless you run some of the hotter ammunition, it will pretty much obliviate all flash coming out of that thing. Um, of course, like pitch black, you're going to get something, but – it pretty much obliviates everything in there. And it does, like he was saying, it does actually work as a 
breakish kind of thing. It doesn't, you, know, you don't feel anything weird of like pushing you around. Unlike some uh, brakes or muzzle devices, you feel like they're pushing you around one way or the other when you're shooting. This one definitely does not. It does keep itself, you know, pretty, okay, I shot here. That's where the, you know, the barrel's going to kind of stay. If anything moves around, it's kind of me, the shooter, dictating that uh, deviation. Does it feel so a little softer? I, is it a little softer feel too? It is a little softer, yeah. I mean, you take it off, you will definitely, you can notice it on or off. Mm. We've tried, we've yeah. played with it before just to see, yeah. you, you know, put a, a blindfold on somebody and let them shoot five rounds and then take it off or leave it on. And let them shoot again and have them tell you, and they'll they can tell they're like I, I don't know which one's which, but it's different. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a fact. It, it it's a really freaky thing. It it you know in in my opinion it it's 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 of the old stuff. It's it, it it's just great. <laughs> it really it, it 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 works as advertised, and you know it 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 has some um, some silly physics behind it. And uh, the way that it actually functions, um, you know, is really pretty cool. Well, what's it called? Uh, it's uh, a Bulgarian four-piece. Bulgarian four-piece, yep. okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so one of the effects of recoil is more a physical. If you, if you get hit by the concussive blast, that is also affecting you. It's not the gun pushing on you, but it's the air blast wave hitting you and that break flash hider whatever you want to call it does a really good job of that a uh, place in florida um made i don't know if they still do called a barking spider and it was a much more advanced version of the bulgarian four-piece kind of and they it's probably the most amazing flash hider i've ever seen and there again it's um that's all I'm going to say about that one as far as, like, legalities. Cause, Am I, have I yeah. got a picture of it up right now? Uh, I don't see a picture showing up right now. Oh, um, okay. All right. But anyone that's ever shot one of the barking spiders, it's, it is better than a flash hider <laughs> should be. Barking spider. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great name. Did you that. ever get to shoot our soul crusher? I think so. Yeah. The four and a half inch barreled, uh, 308 HK machine gun. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I've shot that. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a, a two port muzzle brake on that thing. Soul crusher was the appropriate name. It was yep. miserable to run. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was fun to watch people shoot it. Though. I, yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone loves shooting it. Yeah. It sucked to be the RO. Like, you just you got all the muzzle blast with none of the fun. So let's do this because I, we spent a lot of time on on muzzles, uh, muzzle devices. We haven't even touched them. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, there, and there's a lot more we could talk about, but we kind of want to touch on the stocks yeah. and the and the triggers. And I've got we've got Charles here. He's just dying to talk about some triggers here. So I think we'll go to triggers next, and then. Um, I mean, we'll have to run through this and stocks because we got to get to listener questions too. So, um, so let's talk about, and we'll, we'll start off with, you know, let's start original and then work with, um, how the triggers have evolved over the, uh, the years here with, with the AK. John, you want to hit on the original triggers? Oh, well, standard AK triggers. We see. Yeah. The, the original triggers were basically from what I've heard, 
it took the original manif- designers of that trigger trigger almost a year to figure it out to make it actually work uh, from start to finish of hey we got to build a trigger to hey we've got a prototype running it took them a year to do it which I don't know how true it is but I there's a lot of stuff going on with a trigger <laughs> and, you know it's like Charles will be able to tell you there's a lot of stuff going on in triggers not just oh three pieces moving around and okay it works fine yeah, there's there's some science to that stuff so the for us the way I see it is the original trigger actually works great um it is of course you know not the best at you know for competition or anything like that but it was designed as a military style trigger so it's got long everything it's got a long trigger pull long reset because it's made for a person who probably has never been around a complicated piece of machinery other than you know a horse or something like that pulling a plow to firing you know one of the most complicated things that existed at the time so it needed to be simple, very robust, not easy to, you know, go off without it supposed to be going off. Um, no issues of, you know, I, had, I barely had my finger on there and it went off. So the, the original ones uh, had to do two things. Obviously they had to do a semi-auto and a full auto situation, uh, which we're not going to get into for the NFA stuff. But uh, sure. so to do that, they had to kind of make the best of both worlds. As time went on with the mil- the triggers and the military guns, they had to try to get them more under control. So they started, you know, introducing rate reducers, which is basically to momentary delay the hammer coming to hit the uh, primer for just a millisecond to try to slow the gun down, make it a little more controllable, uh, get some of like the basically the bouncing out of the gun. And then you know they the newer generation stuff that comes out of like new AK-12s and 15s. Um, they actually have their own little device inside those to slow them down as well. Um, but the, they've come a long way from the original, like true AK 47 trigger to modern, you know, the stuff you're going to see on the, you know, in the you know, overseas right now, uh, what they have now, it's, it's changed quite a bit. The triggers do feel better than they did in the early ones. Uh, but a lot of people are trying to get this super light trigger pull and, Oh, it needs to you know have a super light trigger pull and really quick reset. Well, that they weren't designed that way, so an original trigger is not going to do that. <laughs> That's why these people make aftermarket triggers so sure. you can have that. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, talk about the parts, uh, Zach. The parts of the just the basic components of the AK. Trigger. That's not my deal. I had a question for John. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know what you were going to do. You kept yeah. raising your hand. Have there. you ever shot an AN ninety four? Yeah. Okay, how did the trigger on that one compare? Rough. <laughs> I've heard basically the same. <laughs> it's because of what it's doing, you almost feel like a trigger slap. I, I can um, see that. Yeah, it's it, it's you feel it's not as bad as a true trigger slap whacking you, uh, mm-hmm. but you feel like a, a tension on your finger when it's firing. But it, yeah, it, it's it's a pretty rough rough to get a gun but i mean they're trying to do some pretty crazy stuff there it is a very crazy gun yes so uh, anybody want to add anything to that we're going to get into some some modernizations and and whatnot here so i think everybody's pretty much familiar with the the standard ak trigger um you can do the only thing actually you know let let me jump in real quick uh, with a little add the um 
the only thing that um, that I would really add to that is is that si- uh, since the middle '80s, when AK imports actually started to be a thing, um, most uh, most of those guns were just supplied with the original triggers that they were intended to be run with um, as as a standard com block. When they entered the U.S. market and somebody wanted to uh, seize a commercial opportunity. They basically just took that same trigger and copied it and changed the metallurgy a little bit um, to various degrees of success. And, and, that, and that's pretty much all that's happened until um, regular citizens started to really um, accept the AK as a usable platform for them. And they did all kinds of things. Um, uh, I'll skip technical details for other reasons and, um, and experimented, did some things. Some things were great and some things were just, you know, butt ass horrible. And, um, you know, John, I'm sure can attest to that being the fine Smith that he is. And, um, that's really where people started to hit a brick wall. And then again, the market responded as good capitalists do in a constitutional republic where free enterprise essentially said, how can I do better? And then that's when some bigger brains like Zach's and Brian's and Charles friends and, you know, good companies like that who start to think about how can I apply science to the shit? And Mm -hmm. that's where we segue into Charles. But before we do that, let's just talk the basic components of the trigger. It's it's basically oh, yeah. cool. uh, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, seven pieces. So you got the trigger itself. You've got the hammer. You've got the um, you've got the disconnector. You've got the spring. Uh, you've got the two bolts, uh, trigger pins, and then you've got the spring. Disconnector. Seven, seven pieces. Yeah. So seven pieces. Pretty, pretty basic, pretty standard. Um, and then, of course, the spring. We've seen seen modifications in the spring where they've got the twisted springs versus the the standard straight springs. Uh, braided wound, braided wound as they came from the east. Yeah. And, and I'm not aware of anything from that side of the ocean that um, that uses the single. Uh, I don't even know what the nomenclature is. The single wire. The um, Romanians did. Really? That's cool. Yeah, the AMD, uh, sorry, the, uh, yeah, the uh, AIM-74 and the uh, Polish came with uh, single springs in them. Oh, wait, really? They That's broke, interesting. They broke a lot. I mean, <laughs> we see them broken a lot <laughs> in the, in the uh, parts kits we get. Yeah. Far out. And, and like everything, like... Jay just said, of course, you know, somebody saw a commercial opportunity uh, with the triggers and there's a whole separate market just for, for the AK triggers now. And there's more and more coming out. And as I stated earlier, when we were at the event there, uh, BDU Epic shoot ran into Charles there with CMC triggers and they have their own uh, specific AK trigger. So Charles, talk about that. Yeah, so a lot of people don't even know that we even make an AK trigger. So, you know, we're we're known for our single stage drop in triggers. Um, 
we had, um, once we really started getting a following, we had such an influx of people reach out and just said, you know, got to do something with this AK situation. You know, these AK triggers are just absolutely horrific, you know, and granted, that's kind of how they were just all designed to be, you know, back in the day, they didn't have good machining and good, good ways to do the way that we can do high tolerance stuff today. Um, and so I know there's going to be a lot of AK guys that hate me for saying this, but, um, we, we pretty much wanted to design an AR trigger to put into an AK. Um, you know, true, true AK people absolutely hate, hate that. <laughs> uh, they don't want to, they don't want to AR their AK. Don't want to associate um, AR with AK at all, do they? Yeah, they don't. Um, but what we did was we took a very high tolerance, um, super smooth finish trigger, uh, and we considered a modular trigger because it's a it's a one one piece uh, you know package that's we don't call it a drop in just because it, you know just like what all y'all know there's so many different uh, AKs there's you know the tolerance levels are you know all over the board you can't really make a drop in trigger to work with every single a AK no you know no matter what so, so, so some of the triggers you actually have to do a little bit of modifications to to get them to run um, just depending on which which AK you're actually running um, but uh, so this is our traditional flat bow that's our patented flat bow trigger design mm -hmm. um, so uh, pretty much just took all of our high tolerances high polished parts on the inside put them in a one piece unit stuck it stuck it inside the AK and uh, these triggers are by far none. Uh, I know it's going to be a little bit biased, but they are probably, they are the best triggers on the market compared to anyone else that's making these right now. Um, you know, ALG and everybody else, they make a really good trigger, especially for the price point they come in on. Um, but it's just a totally different beast. They, they don't go through the quality control system that we do. Uh, our tolerances are, are insane. Um, every trigger is hand built and hand tested by somebody before they ever leave the shop. Um, I can't, there's, if a trigger comes across one of our testers desk and he has an issue with it, he works on it until it's finally to where it actually needs to be at before it leaves and goes into packaging. Um, so are these the, adjustable? The, these are not adjustable. Okay. So these are the, we either, we make a three and a half pound, a four and a half pound, um, our three and a half pounds, not really three and a half pounds. It's actually a little bit lighter than that. It's closer to about two pounds. And if anyone, any of y'all have actually shot our triggers, you'll know immediately as soon as you pull the trigger because it's my favorite thing to do is put this thing in someone's hand at a show or to shoot or something and let them shoot the first round and their eyes just light up and they're like, Oh my goodness, what is this? <clears throat> and it's just because it's, it's everyone's so used to that gritty long take a, you know, just horrible AK trigger. And then they finally feel a quality trigger. They're like, wow, you know, it's, 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 it's night and day different, super short reset, um, you could really run these triggers, uh, and once you learn how these things run, it is is it's, it's just super simple. Uh, drop it in, put the pins in, and you're good to go. Yeah, and like I said, it really just depends on which AK you have. Um, uh, we we pretty much got six of the most popular AKs out there, um, and we reverse engineered them. Uh, we try to get it to the point to where they work with all of them. But I mean, as all y'all know, you could take five of the exact same brand and put them all next to each other. And every single one of them is going to have a different tolerance level on something, um, especially on, is, on, on the bolts. Is there one that you specifically know that it, it's not, it doesn't play well with? It's really a crap shoot. Yeah. So which ones, um, you know, it, it plays really well with. 
Uh, so we pretty much we went out. We, we had Century Arsenal. Um, uh, we did some Sega stuff. Uh, uh, Clash Golf. We did some of those. In uh, and, and those all work fairly well. But again, like I said, and it really just depends. I mean, um, I've installed. Oh God, I've probably installed close to a hundred of these things and I've, I've had to work on, you know, a, a, a big portion of them. It just really depends. I, I, I feel lucky when I get one where they just slide in and I put pins in and they're, they're mm-hmm. ready to go. You know, I've seen, I've seen, I've even seen it to where the holes that the trigger pins go in and stamped in the receiver, they're just off by a few thousands and you're just fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And that's one of the, the reasons that, you know, we do a cassette, you know, one piece unit. It's all, super tight tolerance with all the parts. So you, you can't, you can't have that, that fluctuation with pins and where they're at and different things. You know, if, if that hammer pin is a couple thousandths forward or, or a couple thousandths up, it's going to act differently with the disconnector and the sear face of the trigger. And it's going to give you a totally different feel or a totally mm-hmm. different functionality of it. So that's why we went with a one piece cassette unit that it's it's no matter what when you get it in that rifle and it's put in there everything's exactly where it's supposed to be and you don't have to worry about any of that what kind of uh spring are you guys using uh we're using just like a one piece we uh, we use a rocket wire um and i've we've had zero issues with anything breaking or anything like this this particular uh ak is one of our show ak's and this has our standardized uh ar curve uh so we have this in three different trigger bows. We do our traditional flats that we're known for. This is our AK curve. Uh, I'm sorry, this is our uh, AR style curve. Then we do an AK traditional. Um, we're about to come out with a combat curve. We have that new combat curve bow. We're going to do that in the AK as well. Um, but this this particular rifle itself, I can guarantee you it has well over 100,000 rounds put through it. And Tell you the truth, I don't even know if this thing's ever been cleaned. I've never cleaned it, and I've put several thousand rounds through it myself. Um, and it's it's same part, same everything. And you know, this is our main take to the range and go to the show show demo gun. Nice. And what are they running? How much are are your triggers? Uh, so they MSRP at uh, two twenty five. Um, so they, they are a little bit more pricier than, like I said, than some of the competitors out there. There's not a whole lot of people out there making AK triggers. Um, uh, uh, but the, just the overall quality, you know, if you put them back to back with everybody else, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll come back to CMC and understand why you're spending a little bit extra money on it. Besides me, has anyone else on here, uh, tried their trigger? Yeah, I've shot one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I really liked it. I thought it was, like I said, I was very impressed with it. Yeah, totally. Really good trip. Were you shaking your head? Definitely. Ken? Definitely like. Yeah. I've, uh, I've known Jack for a long time. Ever since I was working with Sig Sauer and I started, you know, running ARs mostly. And, uh, we were working with CMC triggers. <clears throat> Fantastic. And then, um, you know, a couple of years ago I tried the AK trigger and, uh, you know, Charles is exactly right. As we all know, every AK is a one-off. So trying to get it to fit is a bunch of fiddling. But uh, <laughs> once you do have that matchup, uh, it's a fantastic trigger. It, it, it yeah. truly is a it's a piece of art rather than what we typically think of in AKs. But um, yeah. when you get around to it, Lefty, I've got a little bit about different types of triggers that we'll add. Yeah, and, and that's what that's I, I kind of want to get into there. So um, my experience with with triggers are basically just the ones that either come with them uh, or an ALG. 
um, is kind of my go-to is, is the AG. I really like the ALGs. Um, but what are some other ones that, that are out there and that, that are available? So I'll, I'll start from the basis um, that I've been exposed to lefty and you know let's start with the the standard like uh john was talking about and um most of us are familiar with is the standard tapco g2 um that's actually a really good trigger um it's fairly standard in the sense that it fits the traditional mill pattern so the reliability of that trigger is much higher than some of the more um you know fancy triggers as, as you may want to call it um that we have today uh, the cool thing about it is you get with a guy, you know, like like John, for instance, or 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 Brian or I'm sure Zach, um, you know, my experience was with Jim Fuller and he showed me how to tune a standard trigger. And I still use that trigger today and it it works like a champ. Um, you know, my purposes are a little bit different than other people's purposes may be. And I think that your purpose or your mission has to be set to start with when you're looking at triggers. Um, your recreationalist much better off with a standard trigger that has a press weight of five pounds and over, um, preferably a little bit over. Um, you know, your trainer or trainee type person um, that may also cross over into competition, I would say going down to 4.5 is probably about as low as you really want to go. Um, again, that has everything to do with added stress, movement, um, all the other things that are going on around one that takes takes additional detail in order to be able to concentrate and make sure you're utilizing that trigger press properly, um, particularly some of the alternative positions and, and being in and out of architecture. It's just way too easy to, uh, to press on a, a 3.5 or lower poundage trigger. Mm. Um, your competition guys, they, that's where that really excels. When we have a 3.5 or slightly lower, as Charles was talking about, and have that you know glass type of break, um, that's where those split times really go down and, and those folks that are running competition really take off with it. Again, I don't suggest that so much for training, even though it's tempting. I've seen way too many folks um, doing things they should not do on the range and other places um, with too light of a trigger and not realizing it. So that's that's general start. You know, the Fime Group has kind of stepped it up because the G2 went away um, and they're producing, I believe, two different types of triggers, which, again, are going back towards that more standard and they can be tuned quite nicely. They, they have a reasonable break as they are. Um, it's a nicely made trigger. I like them both. Um, but that can be tuned a little bit better. And if anybody can see, can find some of the old G2s around, um, whether it's a single hook or a double hook, you know, whatever it meets your pattern, I would buy one or two. Stick them away. Um, it's worth having. So then, um, I'm going yep. to interrupt you right there because yep. I don't want to forget to ask this because I know probably a lot of the listeners are, are wanting to, to hear about this too, but... You, you talked about you learned how to tune a trigger. How do you tune? How do you tune the trigger? I I am not that guy, so I can teach you how to do it, but I don't have all the knowledge behind it, like you know John Wood or Brian Wood or Zach Wood. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to be that guy. <laughs> Zach's like, no, he's waving it off. <laughs> well, yeah, and I actually have the same response as Zach that I don't do that. Um, and Jim actually taught me as well how to tune a trigger. Yep. And but Brian, um, you're the you are the consummate teacher, you know. I'm well, there I actually don't think it's do good things. practice in general. Um, and uh, um, the way we do sort of 
tune our ALG triggers that go out. Every every trigger has an ALG trigger has to be tuned to be installed, and um, for for the particular mission set that we're building for, it's the best one available. Fan and the surface finishes. CMC does they do an amazing amount of work on their triggers. With as as Charles mentioned, the polishing. The amount of labor and skill it takes to polish well is a real thing. And um, so we polish, uh, we stone the faces, all the all the faces where metal touches metal on an ALG. We take a, an EDM, like electronic digital music, except it, it means something else in this context. Um, polishing stone, it's probably a quarter inch by uh, five eighths of an inch by six inches long. And we like it about a 300 to 320 grit. And this takes a lot of practice. It's a little bit like learning how to hand sharpen a knife without the aid of something that's constraining the angle of the bevel. You got to get the stone dead nuts flat on these very small faces. And this is where paying for that up front from another company is, is, is probably smart money. But yeah, you polish those faces until they're shiny silvery smooth as opposed to the ridiculous surface finish that's on the ALG when it shows up they they basically rarely function easy, if Brian, you don't easy. do the stunning you can shoot it in Very and good. i love geisley and ALG don't get me wrong sure like great companies i buy a lot of their stuff i think what brian was trying to get at was you know you know you can tune a trigger but should the everyday average person do that no, no. Absolutely not. You know, oh, no. You know. So you got to understand that our listeners are above average. We have above average yeah. listeners here and, you know, very advanced well, for the most part. And, you know, so a little tip and trick here and there on, I mean, you yeah. don't have to go into specifics, but just what goes into, you know, tuning a, a trigger. So there's a stone. Okay. <laughs> let me, apparently. let me actually try a Tourette's retake on everything I just said before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to hit that. I'm going to leave it all in, but that's fine. Okay, well, I'm leaving well, it all in. I love in. you, ALG. You guys are awesome. And uh, but one thing that you can do that's pretty low risk is there is a company called Kratex, C R A T E X, that makes a very fine line of of rubberized polishing stones. It's basically rubber with um, uh, silicon carbide or aluminum oxide, something like that, embedded in it. So imagine like a pencil eraser that's got grit in it if you get a you can get very fine and very angry versions of those kratex wheels and they come in two flavors some that are dark colored and some that are white i'm not speaking of the white ones even though i love those as well for different things for serious metal removal the white ones are awesome but they make a softer green brown reddish you know a couple different flavors and you stick them on a little dremel arbor and they very slowly take material away. And I, I still agree with Charles that the everyday, um, most of us peasants shouldn't be doing this. Um, however, well, our listeners are stubborn and they're going to figure out a way to do it anyway. So we might as well give them some good tips and tools. That they there can it use, is. So you know? yeah, crate text wheel is probably a better idea to, uh, um, to buy than than these EDM stones and um, but I think it's called Boride Abrasives is the company that I get the EDM stones from and for home gunsmiths out there they are an awesome tool so Kratex wheels and Boride Abrasives EDM polishing stones they're about three bucks a piece if you buy a box of them perfect 
a little bit of lapping compound works well too. So oh, hurt it, me. Talk <laughs> dirty. Yeah. <laughs> if you do it right, you gotta be careful with it. You can get real carried away with it. But I mean, lapping compounds a good option if you're Heck just gonna, yeah. If you're just gonna be, you know, it, I am. I am nervous telling people to whip out the Dremel because I have seen absolutely horrific stuff come back. Oh, yeah. You know, people that, getting the Dremel out. That Dremel can get away it, from so. you, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Curtis Halstrom of VSO. Well, either Jaeger or Curtis came up with this, but they said that you should have to uh, have an SOT before you're allowed to touch a Dremel and a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Um, Jay or John, you guys have anything to add to the tuning of a trigger? Uh, well, like uh, you do, Brian was saying, basically it's your contacts. Anywhere it you know hits the disconnector or the actual trigger itself, it needs to be as smooth as possible. Uh, so that way you get rid of that crunchy, um, you know, grabbing sand kind of feel. But you do have to be careful because you can go too far to where you either get it so it you know no longer – holds it in position anymore and it, you get a runaway gun or that it's just so light that you can't really you know control what you're doing. Yep. The, yep. There's several manufacturers out there that make triggers that really kind of make it for the market, not for the quality, trying to be politically correct here, um, that could really look at things a little differently to make a better product than they are. Because uh, people, it's just like, you know, when you buy those things that you clean your ears with, what are they called? Everyone calls them Q-tips. Q-tips. They're not. They're, you know, cotton swabs, but they've got the name. So everyone wants them, even though there's better things out there. Gotcha. Uh, that's what Brian was trying to touch on is there's there's better things out there mm-hmm. uh, than what the name brand is. And, you know, don't get carried away just because you your buddy says it's the world's greatest thing. Try to do a little research. Because everyone's got their opinion. I mean, triggers are a very, in my opinion, personal thing. Um, I I do not like ALG triggers. Uh, my, and none of my guns, except for one that still has one in it, um, none of them have them. They all have other triggers from other manufacturers. I happen to like the Tapco G2. Uh, okay. I've got several, and I've hoarded them away when they, you know, I heard they were going bye bye. I went on the the buying spree and bought as many as I could find, and I stashed them away in a little secret, my little secret drawer of parts. Um, and I have those in a lot of my guns because I like how it feels. I like the curve of the trigger. I like, I know what it's going to do. A- ALG is the one that beats carriers up. And that was going to yeah. be my last rant is that they use tool steel. That's Rockwell 60 and the proper metallurgy is sitting down in the thirties. So that it, it does, that is a problem. Um, however, you know, uh, I happen to love, <laughs> Okay, after trashing ALG, I'll say that that is my favorite trigger for as much as I hate them. Um, and people, before I got into pro gun building, people would always go like, ooh, what did you do to this trigger? You polished it beautifully. And I shot it. And so the really Polish shooting itself. your gun is, is, is a way of polishing it that That's you true. will not screw up. And I, I highly recommend that method because if you do it right, you're going to be a better shooter at the end as well. Yeah. So all that said, uh, it's better to send it to a professional like these guys. If you're not handy or you've never done anything like that before, you don't have the proper tools. So disclaimer, yes, it's better to send it to, to John or Brian or Aklis or 
you know, or just buy a, a CMC. <laughs> and then you, you don't have to worry about doing the polishing. But yes, shooting, but just shooting it, going out and actually going to the range and using it, you're going to see that that trigger is going to start smoothing out over time. Uh, anyway, so, you know, if, if you want to want to be patient and go through that method, then that's probably the best way to do it. One thing you have to watch out for is some of them are case hardened and it's not very thick. And if you wear through the case hardening, polishing it or anything else, yeah, you, you're back down to the soft base metal. Yeah. And again, if you get into doing it yourself, you know, you get into liability issues too. So you, you, you get that thing so light or so jacked up or whatever, and you take it out and, you know, you're starting getting these discharges when you don't want them, then you know, you're going to have issues and probably you may have liability of shooting someone or something like that or a car or something. So definitely, definitely send it to a professional when you're doing something uh, that precise. Cause that, that is a very precision type tuning that you're doing with that trigger. So, uh, CMC triggers website, cmctriggers.com. Yes, sir. That's it. So you go, go check them out there. So you guys can go check those out. And it just so happens one of you lucky leadheads is going to win one of those this episode. So I don't know. I think we should probably just go ahead and get to the listener questions and we may not get to stocks. Um, we'll just answer the questions as they are in the, the listener questions and deal with the stocks. How about that? Is now a good time for Jay's uh, Ukraine update or oh, do you want to do that after? Yeah. So yeah, let's I, do that. I don't want to go too long before hearing from him here. No, we definitely want to discuss the, the Ukraine. So while I'm looking up uh, the questions here from listeners and getting those sorted, uh, I want to get everybody's take on what's going on in Ukraine and then specifically uh, what you've been seeing as far as the, the weaponry that's being used, the small arms, and then what you've heard as far as the United States and other countries, what they're sending. Because uh, I saw somewhere where Adams Arms has sent a shipment of ARs uh, to them, and I've only seen AKs and AK-74s. Oh, over there. no, it's actually, it's actually a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, uh, take it, take I, it, Jay. I, I um, all right. I, I'm just going to have to dance around this really lightly about how the government contracts are working right now and what types of things they're actually trying to put out for solicitation. But um, it's not just AKs, straight up. Just it, it's just not what 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 they're going to be introducing in theater um, is painting and actually um, a pretty interesting question. And most of this information is actually uh, open source. You just have to know where you can go and uh, view these open solicitations. So, yeah, disclosure. Um, anyways, the um, first and foremost, before I lose Wi-Fi, huh? walk back. first and foremost, no one knows what's going on. <laughs> All right. So um, the only constant that you can actually be certain of is that you are being lied to by the most sophisticated propagandists on both sides right now. So anything that you think you know about what's actually going on is conjecture because there is no truth. Um, even if you're standing there, doesn't matter where you are in, in the Ukraine or just anywhere there around it, there is no truth to be had. So what small arms we see is a snippet of the really excellent um, OSINT work that, um, that we can find on Twitter and Telegram and various other, you know, forms of, you know, open communication, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, but if you look 
um, back in, onto uh, YouTube before it gets scrubbed this week. Hint, hint, hint. The, um, you'll see that after that coup, um, the citizenry started buying guns. And you're, you're going to see like all kinds of stuff there. And to be able to support that, there's going to be um, solicitations to be able to provide material support for that. Um, but there's all kinds of there's all kinds of in theater stuff. Like like right now, I'm really super interested. I, I'm not entirely sure what it's called, but Ukraine has a version of the Tavor that just looks bitching. I don't know if it's cool or not. I don't know if it works as well. Um, I doubt it. Um, but it looks like um, it looks like um, IMI had something to do with it. But my, my Tavor, as usual, is sick. Um, and, and this thing looks a lot like that, but it's not. I'll ask, uh, I'll ask Jeremy uh, and see if he's got any info on that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he, he'd be the one to know. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, for sure. But it's not, a, it's not an IMI gun, but it, it, it's, it's made in the Ukraine. And it, it, it's just really, really close. And, um, and that, and that, and then the PKM, because PKMs are pretty much the most awesome thing in the entire world, um, is, is what I've been paying attention to the most. Hey Jay, uh, just to back you up a second, there's a picture that I meant to send you, send you. Um, did you mean Tavor or did you mean Galil? No, Tavor. Really? Cause I've got a yeah. pick I'm going to share with the group here in a second, as soon as I can get it onto my desktop, it's on my phone of something that has the back end of a Galil and it look, it's, it's running Stanag mags. It's a five, five, six. It has a mag well, but it doesn't look like anything I've seen before. So I'll pop that up in a second. Just wanted to check. Thanks. Right. Yeah, no, no sweat. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if there was like, you know, some surplus like OG Galils there. Um, and it wouldn't even really surprise me if there was like any, any of the ACE products, but, um, th th those would have come from side channels or they were, um, you know, civilian guns or special unit or something like that. Um, but no, the, the, these bull pups, um, have been showing up in, uh, in pictures all over the place. And, um, I just think it's super bitch. So, I don't know. Well, where else do you want to go with this is. This goes down like a really. So Ken's really got probably some insight that he might be able to share with us. Yeah, so I'm paying attention to a lot of the stuff Jay is too. Um, and one thing I saw Jay that you would dug is I did I did catch a Valmet the other day, which yeah. doesn't oh, really? coming down out of Finland. Cool. Uh, yep, that was pretty cool. But what's actually caught my eye, which I would like to translate to the rest of us, no matter where you are in the world. Are the shotguns that I'm seeing. Um, I'm seeing quite a few 12 gauge defensive shotguns, which is a very, very versatile tool. And a lot of people just don't give them the respect anymore that, that they used to have. Um, and I would highly suggest if you're not working with a shotgun to, to get on it, start, start working with a shotgun again. Um, they are a tricky beast, uh, but incredibly versatile. And if we, if we translate over to our side of the pond here, um, it is typically a firearm that you can travel with. Um, and they're typically not regulated as a lot of semi-automatics, pistols, SBRs, uh, non whichever as you want to call it, stabilized brace type firearm. Um, you know, your shotguns are not regulated in the same way. 
So you can move from state to state. Uh, the ammunition is available just about everywhere. And they're highly, highly effective in, in the hands of somebody that knows how to use it. So I'll leave it there. But uh, I am seeing quite a few defensive shotguns um, in theater there as well in the photos. And when they opened up, when they opened up the um, the armories to the civilians, they were they were handing out what what looked like Benelli's and uh, 103s. Yep. So I, I guess that speaks to that, you know, directly. Yeah, I agree, Jay. I saw some what looked like might be Remington 870 series, um, yeah. whether made European or, or not, but it had a similar look to those as well. Yeah, I wouldn't find that surprising. What about all. you, other guys? You guys seeing anything? I've seen some uh, uh, some SVDs, some sniper rifles. I've seen the the, of course, the AK seventy four has been seeing a lot of those. Um, I've seen some of the the Dracos. What? Go ahead. A lot of seventy fours. Yeah, like a lot more seventy fours than I was expecting. Uh, someone sent me some pictures, and it looked very much like the Helgen. So I'm guessing probably the military. Um, uh, Croatian version, whatever that is, I don't remember. It's called the Hellion. Mm-hmm. The new one just released by Springfield. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, and and the pictures that we're seeing, the the civilian guns that they have, they're looking they're looking awful new and fresh and like never used. Very new. They're looking like really crisp. <laughs> yeah, fresh. Yeah. Uh, some pictures of some ARs, obviously in sporting condition, mm -hmm. and with cans on most of them. I'm yeah. seeing a bunch of that as well. Seen that too. Can we hope to see these coming over here after this debacle is over? Um, no. <laughs> no, they're not. None of those are going to make their way back to America. I don't think that you're going to see any significant uptick in importation. Maybe for a, you know. Super very long time. I'd yeah. like a UK 2000, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, I've seen a couple pictures of some really old stuff. Uh, they've probably been pulling out of museums and using. Oh, have you? Yeah, they have, yeah. I've seen a couple of uh, DP, or, uh, DP27s and then also a Maxim. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, dang, that's, they dusted that thing off. Very cool. Well, they pulled tank traps out of the museum and set them up in Kiev or yeah. Kiev. That's what the new word is. The Kiev. um the double the, the the new speak is Kiev because Kiev is the Russian pronunciation, and we're supposed to hate them now. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Speaking of Maxim, we've got a uh, 1917 Costa Rican Maxim at the shop in seven six two by fifty four. Nice. Why didn't you bring that for show and tell, Zach? That's a heavy <laughs> bastard. Screw that thing. <laughs> that would have been awesome. So can you guys see this photo that I've posted up here and shared? And if so, what in the F is that thing that's got a Galil rear stock on it? Or stock. Did you send it, it to oh. group chat? No, it's yeah. it's I've it's shared up. the screen. Oh, I'm not seeing this. If you, if you no. can see my Dude, I, 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 oh man, I'm losing it because I, I saw that pic and I was wondering too. And I was like, oh man, is that a SIG? And then it's like, no, it's not a SIG. And then, um, I, I had to do a, uh, Google image search on it. And, um, it, it's, it, it's something Northwestern European. 
Okay, that makes. I, some, I mean that 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 Is receiver anybody looks seeing very it? I'm not German seeing it. or Czech. If you look at the the charging, the top of it looks like a VZ58, and the rear of it looks like a Galil, and the bottom of it looks like something a Nazi would make. And so, you know, Sig is a a decent uh, German Sig that it's very German looking. Um, and uh, let me see if I can. I wish I could remember what that thing's called, man. I, uh, I, it's all our our listeners. Maybe we can have a prize for. Uh... Okay, Marty, it's in it's in the group chat now. Okay, it's yeah. a really funny looking gun. Let me let me. Sh- I mean, it looks badass. Screen. I want one, but uh, uh you, like, <laughs> but that looks like five five six, right? I don't know Stan Mag's real well, but that's what that looks like to me. The one yeah, at the center, yeah. Well, it's there's there's three of them. Yeah. The three guys in the front, the front have them. Three guys, and then there's a PKM in the back right, I believe. And then in the back left, I think there's another one of what whatever these guns are. Yeah, they're pretty cool looking. It sure has the look of an FN. Mm-hmm. Right. Like with that handguard. You know what I mean? It looks very Belgian. Very cool. They're five five six version. I don't remember the exact nomenclature, but it has a very similar outward look to the FN. Yeah, but see the charging handle too? Like yeah. that looks so VZ to me. And I don't know FN guns very well, so FN might be doing that too. But it's like it's like all nations claim it as their own or something. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like, you know, Sig and FN had a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, with Galil in the rear there. Right. It's, it's it's just weird. And it's and it's bulky Galil. It's not like a Sig. See, Sig didn't make that hinge. Sig no. has their own their own, you know, they they adapted the Galil geometry, but but it's their own deal. That bulky thing right there looks very Israeli in a in a good way. Not yeah. I love I've got great admiration for IWI. Um there's a thing that 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 Jake keyed in on with Kiev. Um, there's all these stories going around about people beating up on Russians and surgeons in Germany denying them service and stuff. And I'm reminded of uh, the first time I took a direct action class was this with this CIA guy. And um, we were talking one night, and uh, he was awesome. He he was a, the good kind of CIA guy, and. Um, he was talking about, cause I had recently fled California, um, and everybody was calling me a commie and we were talking quietly and he said, I can tell that you love Liberty dearly. And I know a lot of people who have f- fled communist regimes and they typically love freedom way more than people that were born with it. And, uh, the Russians that are here are here because they love America and love Liberty. And uh, I don't think any of our listeners are 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 inclined to to be to be mean to Russians. But, you know, people that were born in Russia or born in Vietnam or born in China and came here, it's because they want what we have in a good way. They want liberty. They want self-determination. And yeah. so I would and a good example uh, of that, Brian, is that episode we did with um, with Bandito Bill and. Yeah, and Oleg. The guy did our Oleg, yeah, Oleg. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great episode yeah. with two guys who came from two different communist regimes that, uh, yeah, you could tell. 
Sonny's another one. He's and he's Sonny, more American yeah. than most other folks. Yep. Absolutely. And he is technically Lithuanian, which mm-hmm. has been bad for him everywhere. Um and we don't need to go into it, but he's yeah, lots of these folks have a rough time. And one thing that isn't talked about in the American press is that Slavs are viewed as subhuman by a lot of Western Europe. And there's a deep amount of racism there against Slavs, and which includes Russians, some Poles, uh, not all, um, some Lithuanians. It's complicated. I don't know all about it, but I do know that they get treated like garbage. And um, so that's an important thing to understand. And obviously that's bullshit. Yeah. So how do you think as far as the the invasion uh, has gone so far as to what your anticipations were? When you originally when it originally started, did you think that Russia was just going to go in and uh, have no problem at all, or did you think that they would meet this kind of resistance? I figured anyone's going to resist. I mean, there's no way you know you're going to just let a foreign government come in there and try to mow you over, even if you have to run at them with a rock and throw it at them. I don't think Russia no thought that. <laughs> tell you the, you know what you can and cannot do. <clears throat> So I could see, you know, they're going to re- hit some sort of resistance, whether it is as simple as, you know, a do-it-yourself uh, Melotov cocktail kit or, you know, throwing a rock or shooting a gun or be- building a tank trap or, you know, some crow's feet or something. You're going to try to do something to hinder or kill your enemy that's coming into your town and, you know, screwing up your way of life, whether I'm sure there's some resentment, I mean, against them, you know, for other reasons before all this started happening, you know, the, the Eastern side of the uh, Ukraine, a lot of them are fairly Russian people. They speak Russian. Uh, they, you know, there are a lot of them are from Russia. So I'm sure some of them, you know, were not opposed quote unquote to it, but you know, when somebody comes into your thing and starts trying to kind of bully you around and your, you know, the niceties of going to the grocery store and picking out your favorite, you know, beer is lost. And also, you know, you can't watch your TV because the power is out and stuff like that. People start becoming very agitated and aggressive towards who might be causing these problems for their daily life. Yeah. And propaganda wise, uh, Jay's kind of touching on it. It's like you can't believe either side uh, of what's going on. Um, what do you think? They're going to lie to make themselves look good. (laughs) Yeah. What do you what do you think is probably the biggest lie that you've recognize so far that you don't you find very hard to believe the total number of functional military things that russia was supposed to have yeah the, you you believe that that they actually don't have that that they i don't know why they wouldn't be using it if they did yeah why yeah, they perfect time to off. go demo it out see if it works yeah. right is uh why is the power still on why why haven't they seized infrastructure yeah, yeah. I, why haven't why haven't they attained command and control um why is the air why is the airspace still being loitered loitered with uh, uh turkish drones uh why are their cell phone signals still getting out um why is their internet still functioning like none of this shit makes any sense yeah Look well okay we let me be the asshole i'm not saying i believe this but let me be the asshole um as far as I know, Caesar was in the Gallic Wars was the first guy to talk up his enemy. And he would talk about all how fierce all of these Huns were and everything and, and that they fought really hard, but that Caesar prevailed. 
And that, um, you know, he obviously was talking himself up. It was a very Trumpian thing to do. Very brilliant. Um, if Russia came in shock and awe, um, I think what they might be doing is, is, is strategic because they're, they're at least 10 times bigger than Ukraine by military force. Right. So if they go in and squash them, that, that looks bad on social media. What's on right now is it, to sound callous, great TV. And I'm not watching it for the reasons you guys have already stated. Um, not much anyway. And, uh, so I think that they might be trying to look weak and barely win. And um, I'm not saying that I believe that 100%, but that is a counter argument for why they're moving slow. Um, at uh, the hacker conventions in Vegas every year, um, it got to be known among the, the guys who knew that you did not take your phone there because the Russians were so good at crawling all of it for data and spoofing them. And so I just don't buy this incompetence personally. Yeah, uh, I could be wrong. I, I likely am wrong. I don't know. That's an idea. I, I mean, they're, they're already the bad guy. So they can only play so much of not so much the bad guy as far as what the world perceives them as. Yeah, I, that exactly. And, and how you accomplish that, um, you could think of a bunch of different ways to do that. Some of them good, most of them bad. I think Ken knows more than he's saying, but that's okay. <laughs> Let's get to listener questions. <laughs> I'm going to leave it this, Lefty. I think that um, you're seeing what you are meant to see. That's it. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's go to listener questions now, unless anybody else has anything else to say about that. Um, and there is a stock question here. Here's one about a trigger. Has has anybody tried out the ELF AK trigger? E-L-F. Yes. Yes? Yes. And what are your, I guess they want your opinion on it. Corey Brown. Corey Brown, what's your opinion um, on it? It's... The newest one that came out, we got sent one to try out. It it needs work. Um, it's way fat. The trigger is technically fatter than the trigger guard. Wow! So you could, if you slid your hand down the trigger guard, you're going to hit the trigger. Oh, she's. It's that wide. Um, it's it's cool. It's got roller bearings. It's got its own trigger. Its own hammer spring. But I'm not sold on it. It's not for me. Um, we had some issues with it, which I mean, they're they're prototyping and trying to get it ironed out, which I understand. You know, anyone who builds a part has got to send it out for beta testing, get the shit beat out of it, and see what happens. But it's it's got some teething issues, and I hate how the fact how wide it is. It's too wide for me. Yeah, it, when it's outside my trigger guard, I'm good. <laughs> gotcha. So there you go. There's an honest opinion from a. A guy who knows his stuff. Anyone else? Anybody else used it? No. Okay. Not not their new stuff. Uh, Dicky the Third wants to know: Are adjustable gas blocks on AKs a trend or here to stay? I would say they're probably here to stay. 
because you know it, it does give you options if you're you know playing with your ammo. If you're well, if you're jumping between suppressed and not suppressed, yes, it does help because um, you could you know basically quote unquote overgas the shit out of it and then dial it down so that it doesn't beat your face off when you shoot the gun suppressed and then open it back up to be unsuppressed. So I would say they're definitely here to stay. The adjustable gas pistons are here to stay. Um, you know, for they do go onto a gun and you can get kind of the best of both worlds without having to really sit down and tune the gun to particular loads and everything. P-Man 301 asks, there are some crazy looking massive Russian muzzle devices that look like suppressors, but stents. My question is, what the hell are these and why? Do anybody know what he's talking about there? I believe I've seen what he's talking about. Um, I don't know that that's what this is, but I am aware of um, muzzle devices that are slaved to electronics, and the internals of those things can actually steer the bullet by many MOA, and they work. And I don't, I don't believe anything is available in the civilian market in the U.S., but I know it's a real thing. And the Russians have probably been working on it, too. And what you can do with them is insane. Like, it's like hours of MOA that you can steer a bullet that way. Ooh. That's crazy. So if you're moving in a vehicle and you have a drone that's painting your where you want to hit, and giving you that telemetry back, you just have to be within, let's say if you're a hundred yards out and you aim within 50 feet of that target, you get a bullseye. Hmm. I know it sounds like science fiction. I know. It sounds I know. like magic. It's Yeah. Yep. Well, Arthur C. Clarke said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And, uh, so yeah, you got it on the head. Arms of Acadia ask, some U.S.-made fire control groups can cause the bolt carrier tail to uh, become peened prematurely. Is this issue cosmetic, or will it eventually cause malfunctions? What's your recommendation, or what's your recommended uh, FCG for general purpose shooting? I put my glasses on to read these. So some U.S. made fire control groups can cause the bolt carrier tail to become peened prematurely. Is this issue cosmetic or will it eventually cause malfunctions? I haven't seen it actually make a gun not work. I've seen some pretty beat over ones and they, the gun functions just fine. No so, issues. So in your experience, cosmetic. Yeah, to me, I would say it's cosmetic. I've never seen Maybe somebody else has seen something different, but I've never seen it get to the point. I mean, Gets to the point to where it doesn't, you know, the gun doesn't work or function correctly. Yep. That's yeah. that's my experience as well that, yeah, nobody likes it, but it's hard to call it a problem. Um, that is that horn that's sticking out the back of the bolt carrier is what cocks the hammer. And so that's my earlier mentioned frustration is that if you don't get the metallurgy right, you're going to do that. And um yeah, I agree with John. It's cosmetic and it irritates me to no end because it's really easy to fix. Do you want to? That's a big side there, buddy. Is, <laughs> it, is that uh, something you want to give them tips on how to fix, or is that something they should just send you guys to fix? Another no. one of those type. 
Then they okay. Now the trigger it. company needs to fix it. They're using the wrong alloys. Gotcha. Is it? It's too damn hard. <laughs> uh, Buckman Blake. Anybody making 308 AKs anymore? Uh, or any yeah. spare mags for them? I have an older Mitchell that came in country in a small window. Uh, the Yugos are um, county or were we're doing um, we're doing a 308 again, so they're going to have product support for that. And then there was another company that I want to say was CSS. I might totally be wrong on that, but it's some three-letter combination that might be something similar to that. That um, uh, was they 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 also make mags for um, M1As, and they're really super similar. Yeah, so, CSS yeah. makes stuff for it's like they make one for everything. It's I don't even know the the gentleman's name. I'd love to shake his hand on Instagram. It's uh, Charlie Sierra Sierra Papa Echo Charlie Sierra, oh, man, and I, and uh, they are awesome and they're made in the U.S. Yeah, they got a couple. They're not like they're sheet metal. And so you may want to go over them that Kratex product I was talking about earlier. That's a really safe use for that. However, this, this gent is doing the Lord's work by making mags for guns that are hard to get mags for. Yeah. Very good. So IWI Galil's man. Boom. Mustang Perry is the current, the only AK that needs a muzzle device to have proper pressure in the gas system. Is the rear trunnion an easy piece to replace? I have a flat rear trunnion and would like one with a Picatinny attachment. That's a lot of questions. The I can go back. Trunnion replacement, if it's, it's, it's one of those things, can I do it myself? Well, anyone could do anything pretty much if they take their time. Uh, but, the, you know, you have to have a press because you got to crush the rivets uh, or, so, you know, some right way of doing crushing rivets. <clears throat> You can pull it out, put one of those JMAC ones in there, and they have those 1913 rails. You can bolt on the back there, so they can do that. But I mean, it's is it easy to do? Yeah, if you know what you're doing <laughs> and you take your time, yeah, you can do it. It's not a super spendy job from a labor standpoint. Um, so sending it out to John or Josh at Lee Armory, somebody like that. Um, you're not going to be out a lot of money. We make a single piece as well, um, that if the receiver is halfway right, it's going to drop right in, you know, on the, on the same rivet pattern as an AKM, but that can be a real issue with the rear trunnions is like, gosh, the Polish barrel is different from the AKM is different from the 74 is different from the Draco. And so there is some, some fitment there. And then if your receiver is is like a millimeter and a half thick instead of one millimeter that could cause issues in certain places as well um so it what john said is is 100 percent correct um and there's devils and details uh t williams 1924 more of a training question but my work gun is an m4 and it seems like every time i get time to shoot one of my 1775s the first couple of rounds surprised me so would you recommend a new shooter start on the excellence of the alg or start with a good factory five to six poundish trigger i would start with a training class agreed 
I'd start with a training class. That's not a firearm issue. That that, that that's a shooter issue. There you go. There's yeah. no substitute for training. Not at all. Not at all. It's true, and and more direct to that gentleman's question. I mean, I absolutely agree with with our panel here. Um, but direct to his question, he should most likely be on a standard trigger that's 5.5 or greater. If it's if it's surprising Charles him that much, that. yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, if it if it's surprising you on that first shot, it's 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 too light for you, and you know, more training, more time on the gun, more time on the trigger system itself. You know, you need to go to a definitely a heavier trigger pull for a, a short period of time until yeah. you get more comfortable with it. I think more probably what he's trying to relate to is that he's at work. He's he's got the M4, you know, which he probably doesn't have a nice aftermarket trigger in that. So to to keep it consistent, yeah, he would need to change his triggers out. I would think to get the, the heavier pull. Not, not to jump in on Ken because he is absolutely the subject matter expert here. Um, but this is a. Um, this is just a being behind the gun thing. Yes. That's all that this is. This is be behind the gun. The more that you're behind, more that you're behind the gun, the better. Yeah. And it sounds like he doesn't get a lot of time to shoot it. So there you go. That makes perfect sense. Get some snap caps and dry fire. Uh, after my own art, totally. Yeah. Dry practice will, will, will solve almost all of that. There is a slight difference at least with the ALG, the way the trigger resets um, between when it's actually being shot and when it's been racked, those positions can vary slightly. And so a follow-on shot can actually be a tiny bit different from that first one that you pull off. Um, but that is, but but dry practice will get you 95% of the way there with with that issue that what i'm speaking of is a few percent effect the only reason i know it's there is because with that polishing issue um occasionally i would send a gun out that was fine and the way i shot it there was no issue every now and then a customer would say hey the gun isn't resetting and for whatever reason the way they were pulling the trigger back when the trigger when the hammer reset it was hitting a different part of the disconnector than it was when I was shooting it. And so there are some, there are, there are, there are differences there between dry fire and, and live fire. However, again, 95% the same. Uh, I'm trying to find some stock questions here. Let's see. Mike, Mike, Trey Oz Jr. Can one of you recommend a muzzle? No, it's a muzzle device for the 12 gauge AK. Also, where can I find wood furniture for stamped receivers? You may know where you can find Kalash wood. Kalash yeah, wood. Yeah, make nice stuff. And and owned by awesome people. Roger that. Where are they located? You know? Uh, I don't, but so what? It's America. All right. Um, that was Mike, Mike Trejas. Here's one. If Mr. Kalash is Peter Cal, Mr. Kalashnikov was alive today and was handed a modern AK 100 series with Zentco furniture. Do you think he would approve? No. 
he hated any of the guns being modified. He was, or as a whatever, you know, obviously I do not speak Russian, so I don't know exactly what he was saying. But as I've heard, he thought anything other than the way he designed it was wrong. He would say, Nit. You know, I'll actually double down on that. Um, Just from actual personal experience speaking to Mr. Glock, he had the same exact response related to alternating the grip angle, alternating the grip, the stippling, anything like that. So he shut that down immediately as well. So I imagine as a designer, I, I totally agree with what he said. Very good. Let's see. Has anybody tried the binary AK trigger? Kenneth H. McGee wants to know. I had a couple of questions on a binary. It is a AK great trigger. way to shoot your friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, the biggest problem I have. spend five hundred bucks too. Yeah, you, you. Okay, so too. You're in binary mode. The trigger is pulled. You got to stop shooting. You got to put the gun on safe. How do you do it? You can't. Every shooter is going to jump off the trigger. If something happens, they're going to jump off the trigger. Bang! You just shot your friend because the gun's going to fire again. Okay, so they say, all right, you got your head attached to your shoulders. You're going to put it on safe. Well, you can't. So you have to slowly let up on the trigger, very lightly. Pull it into the non-binary position, get it to go in that position, then let up on the trigger completely, and then put it on safe. Sounds perfect. Nothing will go wrong. <laughs> no bueno. So there you go. I, I'm not a big Don't fan of them. It. I mean, it, it's it's a cool thing. I know people you know love it, and it, it's like a machine gun. It's a gimmick. But the fact you can't let you know the number one thing when something goes wrong or you, there's a situation. Everyone jumps off the trigger. It's what we've always done. Well, if your trigger's down and you jump off the trigger, it's going to fire again. <laughs> you got a problem. I'll also add that our Smith hates putting those in. Yeah. The, the finickiness and the difference between every AK, they have to be fit as well. And he absolutely hates doing those. Here's one. Taylor Zach 787 what type of wood is used in the stock and handguard on AKs? It seems Bulgarian 74 blonde furniture dings and dents easier than Romanian wood. I'd say there's probably all kinds of different woods that they use, huh? Actually, yeah, I mean, I know that I know the, the uh, Chinese use a way different wood than you know, like the you know, Russians are, are very plywoody-ish kind of wood. Same with the Romanians. It's almost like a plywood. It is plywood. It yeah, is yeah, it's going to be whatever they can get in stock, I'm sure. Everyone's wood is different. Yeah. Hey, now. <laughs> That's why they make pills, huh? Let's see. Doc Dow 64 what suppressor brake combo do you recommend for the AKM? Are there any additional changes you recommend to optimize the AK being suppressed? I guess they're talking maybe about I mean, gas systems and stuff. I may be biased. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of good ones out there, and you guys definitely make some of the great ones. Um, The biggest thing to start out with is make sure you got a concentric bore. Um, You know, not every AK is meant to take a suppressor, and that's really where you should start. We've been playing with this mount here that screws into the uh, inch and three-eighths by 24 thread that's very popular now. It muzzle indexes off of the big um, 24 millimeter and 25 millimeter threads and stuff that a lot of the uh, 
the front sights have. So long as you have a big enough bore, you can have a little bit of non-concentricity with it. And then that helps with the perpendicularity if you can square that face up. Uh, Let's see. This might be a good question. Peter Wiktorski. I have a bone stock washer that I bought in 2008. It is one of the models with the attachment point for optics. How reliable is this setup and what mounts do you recommend for using a red dot? Also, I will need to get a new stock or find a cheek riser to be able to properly use it. Or will I? He said, will I need a new stock? Or Okay, that's a question. Anybody familiar with that one? Yeah, I'm pretty well, familiar with that yeah. one. I mean, anybody else want to touch it, you know, go right ahead. Jump off, Jack. Go for it. You're on it. Do it. All right. Um, in in terms of that, there's a couple decent ways and some better ways of uh, mounting optics that way. The only way that I really like is um, RS Regulate. Um, with that, you're going to be able to uh, functionally adjust um, because their, their thing is um, relatively modular. So... As soon as you get whatever it is that you're going to mount onto that washer, you can you can then figure out how how you're going to move the gun to your head, and then it's in that moment that you'll that that you'll decide whether or not you're going to have to do anything uh, with a riser or changing or or uh, changing the furniture. But you won't know until you get that thing mounted first. But mount it low. And keep it as low as you possibly can. And if, if anything looks like it's coming up off the dust cover, you don't want it. And Scotty's really good at making stuff that sits real low. Cool. Anybody else? It's it's actually the best one out there from our experience. Uh, we've seen a lot of different brands and manufacturers come through training. And um, most of them will stay on the gun, but not every single one of them will repeat zero like like RS Regulate will. Um, and as Jay was talking about the modularity to be able to fit the different pattern guns, um, Scott's got a, a different upper, what they call it's the upper section that mounts to the, the actual mounting section that will match up to just about any optic or any situation that one would be looking for. Um, I would definitely go that route. Anybody else? Richard NLMB. Question for M13 Industries. He says, I love the post you made a while back with a KR-103. You tore down for an AK-12 build. What were some of the problems or nuances you ran into with the AK-12 that you hadn't experienced with traditional AK builds? I guess he means in the conversion from one to the other. I think that's probably what I'm um, asking, yeah. Well, uh... So, um, there's modifications you got to do the barrel. Uh, you got to bring the front journal, the very front journal by the muzzle, uh, that back a little bit more, about uh, 46 thousandths, I think, if I remember correctly, farther back to go for their muzzle device. Um, the gas block is exactly the same location, so that's not a problem. Uh, you do have to drill the hole. In the front of the receiver for the handguard location, uh, for their mounting, the little mounting pin that goes through, you have to weld the gas tube to the front trunnion 
and then in the back you have to cut it for a uh, uh, obviously a 5.5 folding trunnion. Uh, see what else? You have to put the reinforcement plate for the uh, pistol grip. Well, that's basically it. Okay. And if you have more questions, you can get in touch with John. Go to their website, M13 Industries, and uh, you can contact him there. Yep. Uh, let's see. Let's do a couple more here, and then let's give some some cool stuff away. Ryan. Hey, and I'm sorry, guys. I'm out of time. Got to go home and, and help out here. So uh, well, let's thanks do for this. a great show to everybody. Before you leave, pick a winner for your uh, muzzle uh, brakes. Oh, are, are shoot. You... I don't have it up. Um did Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Just pick them at random with my with my compliments. I hope whoever okay. wins them enjoys them. All right, there you go. All right. Brian, thanks so much. Occam Defense Solutions. Um, I wanted you to tell us what's new and exciting, but we'll get you next time. Yeah, yeah, we're machining sights and um, gas blocks, adjustable gas blocks, our own. Um, Thank you guys all for your patience. We're having supply chain issues on one part that I have on good authority is getting cut next week. And so uh, we're very close to shipping the production run of those. So, yeah, that's the big the big haps is sites and, and gas blocks and all kinds of awesome. So uh, cool. thanks again, everybody. Charles, thanks, wonderful Brian. to meet you. Talk to yeah, you same, soon, Brian. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Take care, all. Right. all. Let's just go ahead and pick winners. Let's pick some wieners. Uh, is anybody on any of the social media right now? Of the questions that I asked, um, what did you guys think was the best question of the ones that I just asked? And we're going to give them, they're going to win the 10-pack uh, of AK mags from Century Arms. U.S. Palm. Anyone. Anyone. I'm looking. <laughs> I'll just say of the questions that I just asked, which which question did you think was pretty good? Well, the one that involves me, of course. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, since you're the one speaking up there, let's see. That was his name was Richard underscore N L M B. Uh email talkinglead at gmail.com. You won the 10-pack of U.S. Palm Mags. Email me. Tell me what you won. And, of course, we're going to need your address to send it to. All right. Now we're going to give away the SEAL 1 Complete Gun Care Cleaning Kit. I'll let you guys pick a winner for that. And we've got Facebook and Instagram. We've got questions on both. And if you've got them on your, um, your post that you guys did, you can pick a winner from there, too. I go with what's the uh, best uh, side mount optic. optic. Uh, where is asking? What's the best uh, Who is it? mount for the side optic? Who is it? Who's asking? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. I have a bone stock waster that I bought. If one of the models attachment point for the... Okay. Peter Wiktorski. Peter Wiktorski, you have won the SEAL 1 um, complete gun care cleaning kit. Talking about gmail.com. Email me. Tell me what you won and uh, your contact info. Let's give away, let's give away the, what else? The tray, the mission first uh, tactical dump tray. We'll do that next. Um, 
and then we'll do the muzzle devices, and then we'll do the trigger. Bruner1981 JPCE, going off of the don't AR your AK concept, what is the best way to manipulate the AK trigger for accuracy? Does the typical slowly add pressure until it breaks still apply, or is there a better way? I think that'd be a good Ken question. That's that's all in the training. You know, you you start out by slowly pressing any trigger, but um, as you evolve, that just happens more rapidly. It's the same trigger press. It just happens quicker with more experience. Anybody got anything else to add to that? All right, Bruner, 1981, JPCE. You have won the Mission First Tactical Dump Tray. You know the uh, operation. Email me, tell me what you won. All right, the uh, mu- the four, no, three. He's giving away three. Did he say three muzzle devices? I believe he did, Lefty. Okay. Pick a winner there. Um, I think Jay had to drop off or he got disconnected. He said he sent me a text. He just got booted off. I think uh, he's circling on a ship out in the Pacific at the moment, so yeah. Yeah. So, Zach, <laughs> pick us a winner for one of those muzzle devices. Uh, there is a gentleman on the Facebook page okay. that asked, the best overall fighting break for a stock AKM. And what is Sounds his name? Sounds like he needs one. Who uh, name is Stephen Morgan? Okay, Stephen Morgan. Does anybody want to take that question? What is the best overall fighting break for a stock AKM? I think we're sending them one. Yeah, you, you really. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Um, and that, and this is what he's going to get. So, again, we talked earlier about flash suppression over compensation uh, for that specific purpose. So, yeah, that is a vortex design that that Brian has reworked. And, again, takes the uh, the dead air uh, key mount. So you really can't go wrong there. Very good. Yeah, not to be confused with, like, vortex scopes. It's Smith Enterprises. Yes, sir. Right. So, Stephen Morgan, email... Email and tell us or tell me that what you won, you won one of the Occam Defense's muzzle brakes. And I think for the uh, the second one, P-Man 301, he asked a muzzle brake uh, question. That was the one where he was out talking about that crazy looking Russian, Russian muzzle device. Yeah. Uh, so he'll get one. So P-Man, email me, tell me what you won, contact info, all that. And uh, one more muzzle device. From Occam Defense Solutions. Who wants to pick that one? John, you want to pick one? Or who hasn't picked one yet? I picked two already. <laughs> oh, okay. Ken, have you picked one? Um, I haven't, but I don't have social up showing anything, so I'll, I'll leave it to you guys. You suck. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, well, the, there's a guy asking, remember, he was asking about the adjustable gas blocks. Oh. Uh, they're here to stay. Uh where is he? Where is he? Where is he? I saw that. Uh, Dickney the third. Dicky the third. Yep. Okay. Dicky the third. Why is there so many, uh, so much variability in pitch on the AK muzzle devices? Is that the one? No, this one is the uh, our adjustable gas blocks on an AK a trend are here to stay. Okay. Well, he's got like. He three sounds or like four. he's going to be putting a suppressor on there, so. Now he's got a mount to put it on. There you go, Dickie the third. You have won the third and yep. final Occam Defense Solution muzzle device. Email. Tell me what you won. And now, Charles, let's do the trigger. 
CMC AK Trigger. Is that Casey Loftus? Casey Loftus? Loftus. Okay. What's his question? I think he asked a couple. Uh, LG seems to be the standard. Um, do you have any experience with Battle Arms development? Um, enhanced AK triggers. Okay. We're like, no, but you're going to get some experience with CMCs. So there you go. That's right. Very Casey's good. Casey's a good dude, too. Congratulations. That's a great trigger. He actually had a, a, an Aklis defense question. He said, on a 7.62, but 3.9 rifle, a slant break or flash hider is all that's needed. Uh, that being said, I freaking love the shorty break from Aklis Defense. But do yourself a favor and either run a silencer or a blast can with it. So there you go. Yeah, I think he has a silencer on order, and I'm 90% sure he has a blast can. And I brought a uh, one of our cans up for Alumni Weekend this past summer and let him, uh, you know, use his rifle like it should be used. There you go. Nice. Very good. He's going to have a hell of a setup once it's all done. Yeah. It sounds like it. That's He's not going to have any excuses, is he? <laughs> so, very good. So all you winners, uh, email me, talking.gmail.com. Tell me what you won. I need your contact info so that I can forward it on to these guys. And uh, greatly appreciate everybody taking the time to be on. Sorry we didn't get to the stocks. We'll just save that for another episode. But great information on the breaks and, uh, and the triggers there. So really good conversation. And Really appreciate um, Jay diving into the Ukraine situation, kind of getting us another perspective on that. Ken, you too. Uh, I know you probably could do more, but you can't. <laughs> so I understand. Definitely understand that. Uh, before uh, everybody else leaves, let's start with John. John, give everybody your websites, your Instagrams, and uh, anything new and exciting you got going on at M13 Industries, buddy. Uh, it's m13industries.com or... Uh, on all the various social medias except for Twitter. Um, Twitter. We are uh, just chugging along, trying to get everyone's builds done and all the custom work done. We kind of got a little swamped about uh, right before Thanksgiving. We got a huge wave of stuff. Everyone must have decided they were going to do their little Christmas presents. So it got us a little backed up, but uh, I'm just chugging along, getting everyone's stuff done. Very good. Very good. Zach, uh, over at Atlas Defense, talk about uh, what you guys got going on and um, where they can get in touch with you guys. Hell, I don't know. I'm on everything. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Atlas Defense on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, MoGuns. Um, that's our actual storefront. That's M uh, M E A U X. Yep. Yep. Yeah. MoGuns. And uh, you guys got any shows or anything coming up? You're gonna be. Uh, we're gonna be up? at NRA for sure if they have it. Um, Why the, wouldn't uh, we do local gun shows and sportsman shows and all kinds of stuff? Yeah, so just check their socials. Uh, they usually post mm -hmm. where they're gonna be. Um, and like I said, we're gonna have you guys on. We're gonna get some other brothers on. We're gonna do a, a little memorial show for, yeah. for Charles. So. That'd be cool. Yeah, sorry Joe couldn't make it. I know he was planning yeah, on, on yeah. making it too. Would love to get his input on all this. Uh, who else is still on with us that's not on camera? Is there, that's it. Is that it? Yeah. So, so Charles, CMC Triggers. Uh, give us all the, the skinny on CMC Triggers. 
Yeah, so cmctriggers.com, uh, at cmctriggers on Facebook and Instagram and all the social medias. Um, we're uh, we're, we're kind of in the same boat as uh, everyone else right now, just playing catch up with all the craziness the last couple of years, but we're, we're getting on top of that. And we've got a couple of new things out there on the drawing board uh, that I think everyone's going to be pretty excited about. But um, we're also going to be out of NRA. So if anyone's out there at NRA, come swing by the booth, come, come say hi and come come touch these new AK triggers. There you go. Very nice. Ken up there in New Hampshire, probably the, the most important thing that you could do to your AK is take it to one of Ken's classes and train with it. And uh, as you can hear from the last uh, couple episodes that Ken has been on, he knows his stuff, uh, knows exactly what he's talking about. And I don't think you're going to get any better training from anybody in the country than uh, from Ken Allen training. So Ken, Appreciate you being on. Talk about uh, where everybody can get in touch with you and sign up for one of your, your courses. Well, thank you very much, Lefty. Very flattered to be on this panel with these other great gentlemen. Um, I very much look forward to meeting you, Zach, and Charles. Um, I already have the privilege of knowing John and, and Jay and Brian very well, and I also look forward to actually meeting you in person, Lefty. Um, It'll happen. We're going to do it one day. Absolutely. Are you going to be out at NRA? Uh, I'm working on it. We have a we have an availability. So if somebody wants to host us, uh, it just came up in the last uh, week or so. So uh, we're All looking right. for a sponsor to bring us out there. Well, we're we're looking to get out there and start getting back in touch with the industry and and folks. Um, you know our our schedule is growing again this year. We're going to resume travel training again this year. We typically teach out of the New England and New Hampshire specifically twelve months out of the year and uh, out of Pelham, New Hampshire, which is down in the south side. So it's just across the Massachusetts border. So uh, flying in out of New Hampshire is super easy. It's only a 20 minute drive from the airport. And if you go into Manchester, specifically Manchester Airport, MHT, um, super easy, in and out, regional airport. So that would be my suggestion, or Boston. But um, you know, we're gonna start doing some more industry support uh, this year, so you'll see more coming out with us, Bolton video and and white paper, as we were talking about with Brian earlier, related to some of the stuff we're talking about. And one of the things we'll be doing is more of our ballistic testing, which you and I are going to talk about sometime, Lefty. Absolutely, uh, yeah, we've got a great show lined up uh, talking about that. So absolutely, we need, we need to do that so, sooner than later. Yeah, and we'll be and we'll be doing more of that this year. So there'll be another round of ballistic testing, and if there's folks out there that have interest. Um, in specific calibers and or firearms and wanting to know what the ballistic challenges and or capabilities might be, uh, we might be able to help out with that a little bit in a semi-realistic fashion. 303 uh, British. I'm sorry, sir? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I said the 303 British. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it made sense, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Try to stick with some of the more common calibers and, and usages of such. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we're we're having at it. Uh, we'll probably be visiting Florida, Texas, uh, Illinois, uh, most likely uh, Utah this year. That's what we're aiming for, Very and cool. uh, other places. If folks want to want to host us, please get in touch. Have and gun, we'll you, travel. You got it, man, and we and we do. And your so, website uh, again? Yeah, www.kenallentraining.us, and uh, on Instagram you can get us at ken underscore allen underscore training. And Very I look good. forward to talking to y'all. Very good. And Jay dro had to drop off. Uh, you guys can find Jay, the League of Pirates. You can go to their website. I don't know if he does much on his website, but Instagrams, it's uh, LOP Actual. 
uh, I believe is the the way you're going to be able to find Jay there. Um, and of course, Brian Occam Defense Solutions gave you a little plug before he jumped off there. Uh, make sure you go and support those that make the AK uh, Corner possible each and every month for you guys. Our presenting sponsors, Century Arms. Uh, he said Andrew was supposed to have been on. He had some updates for you guys, so we'll get those next time. But go check them out on their website. Uh, it's U.S. Palm, and you can get the Canic all from their Century Arms website, and it's at Century Arms. It's not the at Century Arms official. I think there's one that says official that comes up, and that's not them. They're just the at Century Arms. Uh, and let them know how much you appreciate them making this happen. Seal one, seal1.com. Go there, use the code LEADHEAD, get 25% off. Any of their products, Mission First Tactical, again, the code is LEADHEAD. You're going to get 20% off anything at Mission First Tactical, their dump trays. They're, they got muzzle devices and things for ARs there. Um, they used to do some AK stuff. They're looking at getting back into the AK, uh, but they got their dump trays. They got holsters. They got really good holsters. Uh, and their stocks for their ARs. I really like their uh, minimalist stocks that they have. Check them out. Leadhead for 20% off. Um, Factory 47 for the AK Corner official apparel logos. Our big awesome leddies that we've got. Our mugs. You can get those there. You get the little small ones also. Use the code Leadhead. You're going to get 10% off. And of course they have all kinds of other cool uh Logo. They've got pretty much all the country's logos and factory seals and all that. You can get in hats and shirts and everything. Uh, really cool there. IWIUS. Uh, appreciate Jeremy and the crew uh, sponsors again this year. And uh, we're going to get Jeremy on. Uh, he's he's been traveling quite a bit, so he's not had an opportunity to join us these first three episodes. But we will be getting IWI on. And uh, I want to talk Tavors and, and things like that, too. We've talked to Galil and um, some things like that. So I'm uh, going to have some interesting talks with Jeremy throughout the year. And then, of course, who am I forgetting? Occam Defense Solutions. Brian. Brian Keeney. Occam Defense Solutions. Uh, great sponsors of the show. He's coming out with new stuff all the time. Brakes, stocks, the... Merc handguard and of course his complete ODS 1775 rifles that uh, Ken's got one right there. He's gonna pull up and show. Mine's over here. Uh, beautiful, beautiful works of art there. Um, I think that was everybody. Did I forget anybody? And again, we appreciate you with the triggers, CMC triggers. Maybe we can get you guys on board, part of the family, uh, make it a regular thing. Uh, we'd, we'd like to see that happen. But Let's talk about it. Until then, Leadheads, as always, make sure you go and support all our sponsors, all our guests. Let them know how much you appreciate them being on. And uh, I'm sure we'll have each and every one of you guys back on again. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Until then, shoot me an email, talking at gmail.com with any show suggestions or guest suggestions that you may have. <laughs>